0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
2: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt
1: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the place where we give you the latest, the greatest information you need to know to live a healthier, happier life. And some information you don't need to know. You're sounding better and better every day, the, by the, the way. The cough is just moving through my body. Now it's like... Is it more of like foot pain now? Or? I don't know what it is anymore. I just have a tight chest, but I figured out... An arthritic
4: knee? Yeah. Now
3: my, my right knee's
4: shaky. Never heard of a traveling cough. My left ankle. I've heard of walking pneumonia, but... Well, that's how it gets going. Really? Yeah. Wow. Just goes uh, for a stroll and takes you along with it? I mean, oh, try, pneumonia
3: pretty much brought Hillary Clinton down.
4: If that's what it was. It could have been maybe chemical she, warfare. Maybe she was poisoned. Could have been. Russians? You never know. Russians!
3: Hey, happy monkey day. Mm. This is a monkey with a six-shooter.
5: Oh. It's actually a monkey wrench.
3: Oh. Yeah, not Monkey didn't Wrench get the memo. Day? No, it's the day we, we celebrate primates. Oh, that are primates. I thought
5: it was Monkey Wrench. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Hmm.
3: Well.
4: Monkey Day. Yeah. Mon- it's monkey, still early. No, it's different. Monkey Wrench yeah. Day is different. It's still early in the show. Can, I thought that was a monkey working a monkey wrench. Or maybe like knitting needles or something. Yeah. Maybe making a scarf.
3: It's, uh, it's also Roast Chestnuts Day. Hmm. I love that song. That Christmas classic. Can we hear that? Can we play that cl- Christmas classic?
4: Um, sure. The one about the fire? Yeah. Here we go. Um, I
3: no. I was thinking of chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
6: Um, this is
3: pretty close, isn't it?
6: <sighs> yeah,
4: it's in the is neighborhood. This, is this
3: because of the new policy? yeah this is the new pot mm. so we have a new policy here where we can't we're, we we're not we can't play certain songs because we don't own the rights to certain songs mm. but we we b y u you
4: know we're affiliated with the mormon tabernacle choir right we we kind of uh, have the same bosses on some level yeah yeah there's a organizational structure
5: we've got to play this song as long as we can.
4: So the idea—it's too
5: late. Okay,
4: we're associated. They may not get angry. Yeah, that we're so, playing their... Okay, okay. So this we is love. really
3: the same song. Is it really? Yeah. Okay.
4: That was Jingle Bells. Yeah, it's kind of different.
3: I was hoping for Roast Chestnuts Roasting on
4: an Open Fire.
3: Chestnuts. Who sings that? Bing Crosby.
4: It depends on the year, decade. Time. Yeah, that would have been great if we could have played Bing. Yeah, Bing's great. Yeah, we don't own that
3: one. No. Don't say it. So, uh, I guess we'll be hearing a lot of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. (laughs) This will be great. You got to love the Motab. Um, Okay, what a great day we got. Uh, We'll be getting into, in a few minutes, the rise of global authoritarianism. Yeah, say that 10 times fast. Which is really appropriate because many are saying, you know,
4: Donald Trump, Putin, they're good buddies. I think the fear... Is that he has shown some tendencies? Mm-hmm. He he's shown sometimes when he speaks about the presidency and what he can do that he can just say something and yeah. it happens.
3: Yeah. Instead and,
4: of there being a legislative process and all right. this stuff, and so it's, people have this idea where they they think that it's just going to spin out that he's going to try to become king, and where he might just be you know rhetoric. He's just speaking. He's just talking. Yeah. He just might be. Blowing off some steam. Maybe. He's like Simba. So he hasn't done anything yet. He's shown some tendencies. and That right. you know, has people worried, but, but around the world. There's been other people showing tendencies. And it's,
3: it's the, the language they're using tends to be authoritarianistic. Like they're, 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 they're anti-press. Mm. They're shutting down the borders, you know, like a king in his kingdom.
4: And then they're inevitably compared to our favorite authoritarians of the past. Yeah. So we're going to be talking That's with an started. expert
3: about <laughs> global authoritarianism. Is it really on the rise? We've talked about it before, too, with nationalism and uh, some of the other issues that we see going on in Western Europe because of refugees and, and other issues. So we'll we'll just get into that little discussion again. Um, it take a different take on it as well, uh, because now we get this big connection to Russia, Putin. Are we creating this Russian alleged alliance yeah. with the United States? Is that I mean, this, you know, Rex Tillerson going to now Can we call him T-Rex, T-Rex is T-Dog Rex going to make us best friends with Russia. And is that a good thing? That might be a good thing.
4: You know, yeah, he got the what the friendship of the year award or whatever that award yeah. that he got from yeah. complete Vladimir. with bracelet. I don't know. Is it a trophy? Is it a paperweight? I think it's a bracelet. A, medal? Yeah. a friendship Flag? bracelet. I, I think you get a sash. Is it one of those teddy bears with a little sign? It says, no, You're a, my friend. Uh, you probably, it's a
3: sash and a little award.
4: A sash. Can you imagine though, going to
3: and getting, having Putin like pinning on an award for you, like yeah. a medal of honor award or whatever. Huh?
5: Thank cool. you for being a friend. Oh, I don't oh, no.
3: Don't sing that. We don't have the rights
2: to we that We have the so. rights.
4: Be careful. We don't. We're just trying to avoid meetings here. Don't be sad. <laughs> we'll get into to uh, Alan Thick died. He did.
3: He was... The, we can't play any of the theme songs he created. He raised me as a kid, too. So we'll get into all of this fun. Um, but first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country?
4: Thanks, Matt. A single typo may have changed the course of history in a massive report on the scale and method of Russian hacking from 1996 to the 2016 election. The New York Times reveals exactly how 10 years worth of emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign chief were used against him. In the lead up to the election, Russian hackers sent out hundreds of phishing emails to American politicians pretending to be Google and warning the recipients that someone had logged into their account and needed to, they needed to change their password. Mm. One of those emails went to John Podesta, whose aide forwarded it to a computer technician to see if it was actually from Google. This is a legitimate email, Cam- uh, Clinton campaign technician Charles Delavan replied. John needs to change his passwords immediately. Clicking the change password button in the email immediately gave hackers access to 60,000 or so of Podesta's emails. Oh, boy. Which promptly, prom, uh, prom, promptly ended up on WikiLeaks and in the headlines. So he lived all the this, tech right? Guy, the tech guy yep. made a mistake. Well, it says Devlin now says he knew the email was fake, and and uh, as the campaign had gotten dozens of them, he says he meant to type illegitimate, not legitimate. Oh, boy. And so, uh, yeah, says he's been you know emotionally plagued by this typo ever since yeah this could this change the entire election potentially yeah so he meant to say change your password but go to this other website don't use the email is that that guy is the tech guy is he is he a russian i don't know okay just checking (laughs) He could be an agent we don't know anymore on tuesday president-elect donald trump reportedly offered the position of secretary of the interior to representative ryan Zink or zinke not sure he's a representative from montana Uh, citing two transitional officials. The freshman congressman reportedly has not yet accepted Trump's offer. It it was not clear as to which way he was leaning. If he were to accept, he would be in charge of managing federal lands and controlling offshore drilling. Mm. Now, we did talk to uh, the... So a possible Secretary of Interior decorating. That is a different position. That was a different cabinet. position. Yeah. That was a great interview. Though. Ohio Governor John Kasich on Tuesday voted, vetoed what many consider to be the strictest abortion law in the nation, the so-called heartbeat bill, which passed through the Senate legislature last week would have outlawed abortion procedures once a fetal heartbeat can be detected at roughly six weeks into a pregnancy. Similar laws proposed in other states had failed over the fear of being ruled unconstitutional in federal courts. Kasich had previously expressed concern About the constitutionality of the heartbeat bill, and instead signed a a law into a a separate bill into law that outlaws abortions after 20 Mm. weeks. So, yeah, that was news making stories going on there. And finally, for the last time this year, a supermoon will rise in the sky. We missed it, it was last night. (sighs) So, the last supermoon, it's gone. You can't see the supermoon. A supermoon occurs when the moon is at full and as closest point to the earth in its elliptical orbit. Supermoons can shine as much as 30% brighter. Than a regular moon,
3: and that's where you see the G's. That's where all the
5: G's is.
4: Didn't we just have one about a year
5: ago? What's What's the one where it's it's looks all bloody? That's uh, the blood moon.
4: The blood moon. That's the blood Superman. Okay, that's different. That's more biblical. All right. It, it just, may be a sign of times. It's Who foretelling knows? the the destruction of the world. There was also a meteor shower. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw a couple driving what? in.
3: This all happened today.
4: Yeah, but you know, you were just driving. You missed it. I was actually napping. As you drove in mm-hmm. your Tesla, yeah. We'll get into that later. I have some uh, self-driving car news. Oh my word! This is an exciting day. Hey, uh, Alan Thick,
3: TV icon. Yes. Suffered a heart attack playing hockey with his son. He did. That is so sad. Was it uh, Robin Thick? He was playing with. Uh, I don't know if it was Robin.
5: His I think son was Robin. His,
4: he has three sons, I believe.
3: My Three Sons was a different show. Yeah, it's uh, not that. It's, yeah. He has three sons. He was on Growing Pains. He was growing. No, he wait, was the father. Was pains. He was the father, and he changed the image of fathers, because he wasn't just a bumbling idiot father. Mm, but he
4: was. But he kind of was. Yeah. But he was also a good, wonderful dad. He was one of them so- uh, kind of softer, emotional doctors. He had three uh, Emmy Awards. No offense. Is
3: that what they're called? A kinder, softer doctor? I don't think he's a real doctor.
4: Well, no. He On the show, he played it like a psychiatrist. Oh, that's right. He, he yeah. listened to people talk about their he's, feelings he's and their what problems. He's made
3: me want to be yeah. a... A soft doctor. A soft doctor. Host
5: of Win, Lose, or Draw. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, he wrote the theme songs for Growing Pains, Different Strokes. Really? And Will of Fortune. Facts of Life.
4: None of which. And Facts of Life. No. None of which we can play. No. He
3: really did? Yeah.
4: Yeah. Wow. He, he has 40 theme song credits. To his name. We, we actually, Sheesh. we could
3: play him because we're talking about, really his, it's a news-related story. Ah. So we could play those songs. Oh, nice. Uh, hold on a second. We've been working on some new policy here.
4: Oh. Wait, no.
3: This is... Uh, Alan Thicke in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir.
5: So now, I guess we don't need to be too surprised that his son is into music. Robin Thick. Robin Thicke, but he's got a song you
3: don't necessarily want the kids to listen to. And I think it, we
5: can play that one. That one we can play. And he may no. or may not
4: have no. stolen it from somebody else. It's all in the yeah. it was in the courts There's it's a, law a lawsuit, but
3: is this this is this isn't Robin Thick singing with the choir, is it? No.
5: It's just the choir. He's it's close enough. He's probably in there somewhere. Ah.
3: It's it, so hard with all these laws of yeah. what you're allowed to play on the radio and you're not. Yeah, how do you Be- So Imagine the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing "Different Strokes" mm, song. Right, "Facts of Life." They've mm.
5: probably done both of those, by the way.
3: It's at least a warm-up. <laughs> this is really—is this the only song we can play on the show now? Uh, as long
5: as we play under a minute of it, and that is fifty-nine seconds. Whew, wow, so, just coming
3: he, he on. He won an Emmy for helping Barry Manilow's talk show. He was a writer on that show.
4: Wow. Bray Manilow had a talk show? Yeah, I know. Wow. Talk about soft.
3: Uh, He also just promoted the second season of his Netflix series, Fuller House. Wait. He's... How
5: was
4: he affiliated with that? He was on the show as a character or something. He was... He's what made it Uh, fuller. The show... I read all these things saying he starred on the show and I'm like I don't think he was the star he was huge House. he had a he had his own talk show Thick of the Night that mm-hmm.
3: then got really big in Canada I guess Canada and, but I mean Canada Canada yeah. is where all the stars come from right and, but, I mean just, talk about Justin Bieber talk about right the big moon what yeah, I don't know the big moon <laughs> talk about the, the big <laughs> moon right. um, Thick is survived by his wife Tanya sons Carter, Robin and Brennan it's sad. Mm. I mean now everyone's coming out Ben Stiller, Ed Helms, all these people are making comment. I mean, he was the dad. He he really was. He was he was a good guy and a hockey player. What a way to go though. You go doing what you love doing. Playing hockey with your boy. Mm. Not a bad way to go.
5: But dramatic for the boy. Yeah. He's probably a man at this point.
3: Yeah. Have you ever heard the joke? I want to go I want to I, I want to go in my sleep, calmly, peacefully, in my sleep, I don't want to go kicking and screaming like the rest of the people in the car I was driving Wow, wow, hmm it was it was a good joke it was a dark thought good joke um <laughs> so donald trump he's he's now uh waxing eloquent about paul ryan
4: yeah on his on his victory slash thank you tour. Let's, let's listen to Trump talk about Paul
3: Ryan.
2: Speaker Paul Ryan, I've really come to app- oh no, I've come to appreciate him. They're Paul Ryan. Oh no, in Speaker Paul Ryan. Where's Speaker? Where is he? He has been, I'll tell you, he has been terrific. And you know, honestly, he's like a fine wine. Every day goes by, I get to appreciate. His genius more and more. Now, if he ever goes against me, I'm not going to say that. He's a great guy, and we have some amazing things in store. Ugh. And we're going to work on taxes. We're going to work on Obamacare. We're going to work on things, and he's going to lead the way. So thank you. Oh, we're going to work on the wall, Paul.
4: We're going to build that wall.
5: Uh, please don't put my name in the same sentence as wall. <laughs>
4: And we're going to have a great door. In the, whenever, whenever he gets into the wall, he talks about these great doors. There's a door. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's
3: not just a wall. There's a door that we let people in, and it's got a screen door on it. So the flies, because you don't want right. the pests.
4: You want to leave the door open, but you don't want to leave it just really mm. open. Yeah, so it's a screen not, door, yeah. It'll have, a,
3: it'll have a, an automatic closer. Oh, it's a nice door. Know, hydro, what are the hydro, what are the, not A hydro, not a hydraulic, Yeah. yeah. It's got the little clothes around yeah. it. Yeah.
5: And the doorman from The Wizard of Oz, we joked while you were gone. What doorman?
3: Who
4: rang that bell?
3: Oh, yeah. yeah. Can we use that? No. I don't think we can use those clips. I can say it.
4: Even the reference, I don't know. Yeah, I, I can bet.
3: say it. You should just say from some anonymous doorman that was in... There was the City of Emeralds.
5: Yeah. he's out front. Uh, that's, that's too specific. It's kind of God Greenish... Did gems did you
3: by the way i put on your desk the manual for what we can use and what we can't use did you get that i did not okay it's
4: it's, interesting
3: it's three binders yeah i bet and and but make sure you lift with your legs okay because it's huge it's huge we're just trying to keep it straight we don't want to get in trouble huh what a day stick with us folks we will be taking a break when we come back. Global authoritarianism It's on the rise And uh, some are pegging President-elect Trump As one of the Offenders And uh, we're going to find out why Stick with us, this is the Matt Townsend Show We'll be right back Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Blaming the world's problems on a specific group or people, uh, it's an easy solution to many of the challenges we see today, and history has shown us that political leaders will sometimes use this tactic to gain power and to keep it. Uh, Here to talk more about global authoritarianism is Dr. Manu Bhagavan. He's a professor of history at Hunter College, uh, the City University of New York. He also is... The author of the um, the book "The Peacemakers," uh, India and the Quest for a, for One World," uh, Dr. Manu Bhagavan. Thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you for having me. We hear
3: more and more about uh, nationalism, global, and, and the and uh, authoritarianism. I guess is is a term that's now being hung on this nationalistic movement that we see going on in Europe um in germany now i mean now almost every major country in europe is starting to have elections that it's that are paralleling a little bit of the brexit movement and a little bit of donald trump movement talk to us what do you see going on and and why exactly would you tie it and and call it authoritarianism
2: um right well thank you again for having me um so as you said uh there uh I think there are a number of similarities which are driving uh, the rise of populism, certainly, but uh, with a with a lean towards authoritarianism around the globe. So let's first start in Europe, where we can see the Freedom and Justice Party, Viktor Orban, uh, the Freedom and Justice Party in Poland, Viktor Orban in Hungary, the AfD in Germany, the Freedom Party in Austria. We can look to the Philippines, where we see Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, Erdogan in Turkey, uh, Putin in Russia, Pauline Hanson in Australia, uh, Narendra Modi in India, uh, Shinzo Abe in Japan, Xi in China. And the list just goes on um, of figures who are uh, who are appealing to uh, base instincts. Uh, and um, sensing that their people have a sense of anxiety that they need to respond to. And and the way to respond to anxiety, in their view, is by appearing strong yeah. uh, uh, and trying to promote a certain kind of sense of security uh, and uh, defense of national interest. So um, I, I was looking at this trend and... Um, you can't explain uh, local forces may be part of the driving factors but you can't uh, explain a global phenomenon only through local history or local politics so what are the connecting factors what could be driving this globally that was the question that i yeah. asked um, and i basically came to the conclusion that there are three things three interconnected things the globalization of the economy the globalization of conflict and the globalization of crises And these three forces, interconnected forces of the globalization, uh, trace back decades uh, to some changes that occurred um, in the 70s and 80s, but really took off, coalesced in the 1990s. Um, And what do these three forces really mean? Uh, Well, the globalization of the economy is um, because of rewritten trade rules uh, and uh, particular kinds of um, uh, avenues for growth uh... tax into incentivization and so on companies really grew and competed with one another in the nineteen nineties it was kind of a death match for some of these companies mm. many of them failed but those that survived grew stronger and larger um, and ultimately grew into a kind of corporate force that extends beyond the reach of any particular government or country even region these huge multinational corporate interests uh, which then are able to use these trade rules and tax rules um, to, you know, obviously for the benefit of their shareholders, but uh, to the detriment oftentimes of particular national interests. Um, so you have these, these, uh, these global entities which can supersede uh, the needs of people on the ground. Uh, and then you have the globalization of conflict. This is like the long war the war on terror, where you feel like, uh, you know, terror actors or even drones, um, these, these kinds of uh, things can extend anywhere, can, can reach beyond any boundary. There's no secure space. Uh, and so you sort of multiply economic anxiety with an anxiety for personal safety. And then on top of that, the globalization of crises, where you have pandemics like Ebola uh, or Zika, uh, and um, huge storms like Katrina, um, these things, again, threaten, reinforce the threat to personal safety.
6: Mm. Uh, and,
2: then, and then all of this leads the ordinary person to say, hey, I, I feel very insecure. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to get on with my life. Um, you know, I'm I'm I I don't have an economic future. I'm worried about my economic future, and I'm worried about my personal safety. And so, instead of thinking about hey, how do I go to school? How do I get a job? How do I think about uh, saving for my kids' college? You start to wonder how you get through the day, through the week, um, and and that I think is ultimately the core of what's going on.
6: And you,
3: it's it really, it's it's a brilliant, I think, review because. It's it's not just globalization as a general term, but it's globalization of of the economy. Company, companies multinational corporate corporations have more power than many countries and states. Um, but we also these are all the issues we've dealt with: Ebola and the borders, and now anybody can. Uh, crossover in, and, and uh, you know, infect your entire country. That was such a huge issue with the Ebola scare. It, I guess, and then you're saying, though, leaders, uh, Donald Trump, for example, and all these other leaders you cited, kind of backfill the, the, the gap of the pain and authoritarianism, strong arming, heavy handedness, a disdain for the press um, becomes kind of an easy play.
2: Well, what, what I think is going on is um, uh, when you have this sense of anxiety, uh, uh, populists are, are coming in and addressing this need. They're saying, listen, we hear you. Uh, that's one of the things that they're pretty good at, actually. They come in and they, they, make, they, they, they make an appeal to these base anxieties that people have. And, they, and their response is somewhat predictable, which is, um, look, how do we deal with these kinds of problems? We are going to uh, re-erect... Uh, tariffs borders walls essentially the core of the issue is this i think people around the world feel a distinct loss of sovereignty that is of control over themselves uh, over their communities over their countries uh and uh what this what this sort of global moment about is about in many ways is to say okay we hear that so the response this is what I mean by predictably, is to say, how do we re-erect some of these mm. protections that we feel have been lost? We'll appeal to your sense of sovereignty, and we'll address it by bringing it back. So um, now the, the problem, as I see it, is that, in essence, um, the, 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 the solution that a lot of these uh, global leaders are offering um, is nostalgic, It's a nostalgic set of solutions, and in many ways their success is driven by this force, this force of nostalgia, um, so that it's it's a throwback to a different era. We can live in a secure country. We'll have proper border controls. We'll control who comes in and out of the country, what comes in and out of the country. Um, and we'll be able to therefore live secure, safe, independent lives that maximize freedom. The problem with this, first of course, is that in, in many ways this is imaginary. That, that those those periods weren't there has there have been types of globalization uh, in different stages of history. Um, but, but the second problem to it, I think, is more fundamental, which is the particular forces of globalization that I described. Uh, are so large and so unwieldy that these nostalgic solutions aren't really going to be able to address them. Right. Uh, because they're, they're solutions for a problem of a different era, and, and they, they don't deal with the kinds of forces that have been unleashed. As just one quick example, um, with regard to the globalization of the economy, which in many ways has altered industries, uh, has uh, driven job loss for certain older kinds of sectors. Um, well, one of the things, that, things that's coming is an increase in automation. Um, increased technological innovation around the world is going to result in uh, essentially automated tasks taking over for a large, a large number of existing jobs now in the service sector. Um, in, in which case, we're going to continue to see a downward trend in old old forms of employment now, now erecting barriers is not going to protect us from this and in the event that somehow uh... companies were brought back from offshore and made only american companies what would happen is the expense of the products that they produce is going to go up uh... the cost is going to go up and these these companies would then essentially no longer be able to compete on the global market, so mm-hmm. for a range of reasons, this all becomes very, very difficult to, to, to pursue, uh, and and may in fact exacerbate the problems we're facing already.
3: So authoritarianism, uh, it's it's kind of an old stick that's not going to, it's not going to be able to deal with the current issues. Do you sense? I mean, because now we're talking about Rex Tillerson, who is going to be the chief diplomat of the country. And yet, is also the leader of one of these multinational countries, corporations. Um, is it? It almost just seems like it's playing right into your theory.
2: Um, <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I mean, I don't know exactly what uh, Mr. Tillerson would advocate, and um, just because someone uh belong to or or, or led a, a particular company or corporation doesn't necessarily mean uh, that that they'll pursue a particular kind of policy um, one thing i just want to reinforce is uh there are many good people obviously in all of these global corporate interests right. um, this this is not about individual people these are about systems and about uh a larger kinds of forces at play uh, and so the, the corporation as an entity uh, is sort of beyond uh, any one individual. Mm. But but now in terms of Mr. Tillerson, I mean obviously there are things that one might criticize in his in his particular record. Uh, in terms of what he will do, I think that remains to be seen, and whether or not he's confirmed also remains to be seen.
3: Does it? I guess when we're when we're thinking about this. Um, you, you do talk about kind of the – each each of these countries that you cited, they also have parochial issues. They have local issues that that almost get folded into this greater scheme um, and, and, and theme, I guess. It might be a better approach to it. Is it – because the, there's going to be a delay before th- these policies, these ideas, these kind of authoritarian approaches might still – seem like they're working, even though long term, they may not be working. Right. These these people are still could be uh, elected, lifted, uh, bolstered and strengthened by using an authoritarian approach, even if it's not working long term.
2: Right. So let's let just make a distinction between populism and authoritarianism, first of all. I mean, I, I think the populist side is what has the short-term appeal, which is uh, the, 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 the sense that we're going to move swiftly, we're going to be strong, we're going to take assertive action. Um, the authoritarian side is, it comes from uh, uh, a resistance to criticism uh, 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 discussed with dissent, Uh, um, a rejection of dissent, uh, attacks on the freedom of the press, uh, things of this sort, as well as um, leaning on people to blame. So xenophobia and jingoism, uh, racism, these kinds of things where you say, look, here are the problems we face, and the problems are terrible, but they're really someone else's fault. Mm. Uh, and then once you sort of lay blame at someone else's fault, then it's about targeting that community to sol- or, or those communities in order to solve the problem. This is true, around the, again, around the, around the globe, uh, where uh, some particular community faces the blame for what's going on uh, in, in a larger region. Um, and that's one way to shift uh, the goalposts for leaders in power who are unable to deal with these global forces—it's—it's it's really the fault of these these other people. Um, so uh, that 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 in a nutshell, as I see it, remains one of the one of the problems, but also one of the reasons for the short-term success because it's about laying blame as opposed to taking responsibility.
3: Mm, yeah, that's a great—that's I think a just great insight. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Manu Bhagavan and. Uh, when we come back, I want to get into um, a little bit of, of how we counteract this, how we make sure that uh, this this present-day populism and, and authoritarianism doesn't take over, if there's anything we can do. Also, find out more about his book, The Peacemakers, India and the Quest for One World. Uh, Dr. Bhagavan also is a, teaches seminars on Gandhi. I'd love to know what uh, Gandhi would think of all of this as well. well. We'll find out more. Stick with us, folks, helping you understand what's going on in the world but also become a change that we need to become. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend show. Hey, joining us on the line, Dr. Manu Bhagavan, who is a professor of history at Hunter College, the City University of New York. He is also um, the author of uh, of the book, the acclaimed book, "The Peacemakers: India and the Quest for One World." He offers seminars on Gandhi, modern India, violence and ethnic conflict, um, as well as uh, modern world history and modern South Asian history. He's uh, very, very informative, and we appreciate you, Dr. Bhagavan, again. Thank you for being with us.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
3: Does So how do we make sure we don't fall into the trap, the fears of globalism, the fears of these now kind of seemingly never-ending wars of um, – the global economy that's not going to turn around because of technology advancement. I mean, there's a lot of issues, and then global crises. We see they seem to be coming more and more regular, uh, or regularly. What? How do we not fall prey into just following lockstep? Uh, an authoritarian.
2: Um, okay. Well, I, I'd say that there are. Uh, Three parts to this. Um, The first is that um, I think our moment, as I said uh, in the first segment, um, is driven by a a, a longing for uh, a time that's been passed. That is, that nostalgia is really at the core of our present political and social... The good old days, yeah the good old, oh, good old days. How do we go back to when things seemed simpler, easy, and safe? Um, now, nostalgia as a force is extremely powerful. Uh, it's alluring because, um, you know, it, we, we romanticize the past. Uh, we think about, it, we highlight in our minds all of the best parts about it. Uh, and so it becomes idyllic uh... and and uh... and and simple uh, now that is a powerful very powerful force that i think uh... contemporary politicians are tapping into so that's the first part um, now how do we overcome that well i i i think of it sort of this way um, you know when 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 someone loses a loved one i i have and i am sure mm-hmm. many, many other people unfortunately have um, you know i i it's a, it's a, it's one of the most challenging things to go through, um, and depending on on uh, uh, circumstances, you know, one can really go down deep um, into this into this sense of loss of the past. I did, um, and then uh, you you start to think more about the days that were behind you than about your, your current day and, and about moving forward. It can become it can become kind of a trap in that sense. Um, now, how do you eventually overcome loss? Well, different people have different ways for doing that. Um, uh, you know, Ultimately, though, I think it's about recognizing that we have something to live for and that we have to think about a creative future um, in which we all matter, each of us matter, and that each of our peers matter as well. So in this sense, uh, what, do, what can politicians do? Um, well... It's about crafting uh, a succinct set of policies and an overall coherent message that addresses this sense of uh, we're in this together and we're going to build a future for everyone together. I think many people in the heartland of the United States uh, and in countries around the world really feel like they haven't been listened to, that their communities are falling apart, that their factories are closing, that their life isn't getting better. And... Whatever you know, statistics might say they aren't feeling it personally, and what they really want to do is feel heard. They want to say, "Listen, we're suffering. Um, We we, we don't have it easy. And why don't, why, why isn't anyone hearing us? Um, And what can we do about it?" Um, So the so uh, the politicians need to respond, I think, in this way. Everyday people like us, what can we do? Well, the first thing to do, I think, is to turn to our neighbors and say, "We hear you." Mm. Um, we're, we're a little too atomized and isolated by social media we, we, have, we, we, we like to have virtual conversations instead of real conversations um, so we need to sort of uh, social media is fine it's a good thing but we need to also pull off of that a little bit and reconnect with, with our communities, with our neighbors with our friends and in fact I think one step that every individual can take is also to try to reach across to people um, that we don't Normally talk to whoever that might be, in, in whatever sense that might be, um, and and grab a cup of coffee. Let let's get to know one another again, and remember that we all have common purpose. Um, whether these common purposes are in the context of towns, or whether these uh, common purposes are in the are in the context of regions or regional communities, or cities, or states, or nations. Hmm.
3: It's so, such and, great and advice. I, yeah, and the basic, right? I mean, it's. It really is. It's kind of get out of your computer room and go become a community again. Go talk as a community.
2: Right. So that's that's stuff that local townships can do. You know, how do we how do we do community building uh, organized? Sorry, community building uh, uh, events. How do we get get our folks out of their living rooms um, and and into the public square? How do we get? Us, us talking to one another again, you know. And and I add two more things to this. One is, we can have community forums instead of having debates, which is has has sort of uh, descended into a to a euphemism for shouting matches, mm-hmm. where no one no one's mind is really changed. It's just about scoring points and and, and you know sort of horrible name calling. Um, we need to have conversations. We need to have public conversations about issues where the point of the conversation is, let's find some common ground and let's try to agree on three points at the end of this hour or whatever it is. Something like that, I think, is, is one way forward. Uh, uh, and then I think uh, we have to do our own part. As I said, we, ha- we have to play uh, constructive roles in, in looking for uh, common ground. Is... I mean,
3: it's is this a, this is where leadership could backfill. Uh, but I guess, too, this is why if it's too easy to move from populism to authoritarianism, you might then stifle all conversation a lot. I mean, we are a lot of the response to this is openness, conversations, acceptance, understanding, looking for common ground and agreement where I guess authoritarianism would shut that down and just take us to days of old.
2: Right. Um, well, presumably, um, uh, authoritarianism ultimately sort of seeks to 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 protect itself uh, and, and to continue in perpetuity. Um, but but uh, I, I, I mean, in the sense that it's about a need uh, in a in sense that populism is about sort of recognizing uh, a crisis, that people are feeling and, and presenting a set of solutions, however flawed it might be, um, th- that's I think the bigger thing to focus on. When those solutions fail, that's what leads to authoritarianism. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and so I think I think we have to be prepared for that and offer alternative solutions. All of us. Um, and, and this is not a this is not a partisan right. issue. Or this this is something all of us can offer constru- constructive solutions. But most importantly, all of us can reach out. To communities, uh, say, uh, across the line or, 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 or with whom we, we uh, don't ordinarily uh, communicate with and, and, and try to build, build up levels of trust and respect. Again, trust and respect, I think, are fundamental to the functioning of a healthy society.
3: And as as one who has um, studied extensively Gandhi, and has you yourself have written a book on peace, what, what would Gandhi be teaching us? The same thing
2: that um, you're teaching I, us? I think so. I don't know. I wouldn't put my name in the same sentence as his, but uh, mm. I, I think ultimately, yes. I mean, you Gandhi was someone who saw... Um, the good in all people, literally. Um, you know, he, one, one of the things that he never did was to, to, to argue that British people who were, who were the, the British state-controlled India in a colonial relationship, he never argued that British people were bad. Um, and even, even government officials who, who were enacting policies that had terrible consequences, mm. he never argued that any of them were bad. He ar- argued that they were fundamentally very good people, but that they themselves were were suffering as a consequence of these larger systems. And what was key was to understand that, um, and to and to sort of uh, see the humanity in all people. And when you did that, um, you lifted everybody up, and and we grew together.
3: Yeah, we don't need to demonize, do we?
2: Right, exactly. There's, and there's
3: I I just watched the the movie on Gandhi that. He was just he was the person that would just walk right into the melee and try to understand what's going on and communicate and be with the people at the but then be with the decision makers. But then, you know, go to the ground level and start communication, conversations.
2: Right. Well, that that's another thing. I think I think, uh, you know, people talk about these bubbles, politicians, Washington in a bubble. Uh, our city's in a bubble, rural America in a bubble, and that's the problem. Uh, we're all in bubbles, mm-hmm. uh, and we've got to, we've got to break these bubbles and, and make a real effort to get to know, to, to get to, to, to be there. Um, and the people in Washington need to, you know, I mean, it's get out of Washington a little bit and, and get back to talking to different kinds of communities and really understand them. And that is, the reverse is also true. Um, you know, there, there are, there's poverty and there's working class issues, uh, across all different communities and, and races and, and regions. We have, to, we have to find that common issue again.
3: Love it. Well done. Dr. Manu Bhagavan, thank you so much for your insight, for your um, for really just your deep ideas, uh, which really are very basic. Talk about nostalgia. It's there's, These are basic truths, and um, where sometimes we could be swayed by nostalgia, we also could be driven, it sounds like, by the hope Of some of these simple answers Like talking, communicating Reaching across uh, the bubble Out of our bubble And into someone else's To understand what's going on We appreciate you Again, um, go look up Dr. Bhagavan's book The Peacemakers India and the Quest for One World We'll take a break We'll be right back This is the Matt Townsend Show Helping you see the good in the world Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. How basic are these ideas uh, that Dr. Bhagavan's teaching us? It's just, it's communicating, reaching across borders. Get out of your bubble and be careful about nostalgia. We, We keep pretending like we are going to be able to go back to the, what, 50s, 60s? 50s it's not happening folks you live in a global world ebola ebola do you remember the terror that that puts in our hearts we hear about aleppo and uh the ceasefire that was just forged in aleppo yesterday was destroyed this morning and they're back at it in war which is again driving refugees out of syria to europe and to the united states This is a global issue, and yet we keep pretending like we're going to go back to the jobs that all of a sudden we're just going to bring back the plants, and those plants are going to be able to immediately make the exact same thing they were making 40 years ago? Are we going to revitalize Michigan's car industry? I don't know. Is that possible? And is it possible without creating a $150,000 car? So instead, what if we could unify around the idea of creating the future that we need to create together? Talk. Get out of your own bubble. But leaders, you've got to be listening to the people. Because when the people aren't heard, an authoritarian sounds wonderful. It's just not going to service long term. We uh, we'll take a break. That's hour number one of the show, my friends. We'll be back. More ideas, more information to help you see the good in the world. Stick with us.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
6: BYU
3: Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. This is the show where we give you the information you need to live healthier, happier lives And today we'll even give you some information you don't need. That you wish you hadn't even received. That's how good we are. We will give you all the things you need to know, plus a few that you don't. Happy, by the way, Monkey Day. There's the, uh... What? There's the Buddhist chime. Happy Monkey Bar Day, right? No, 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 no. Monkey. Monkeys. Oh, monkey day yeah dude was that a mon- was that a monkey bar yeah that, that's somebody running into a monkey bar on the playground just some poor kid with a helmet that just it's
4: that freakishly tall sixth grader
3: got off his bike and i remember feeling like if i was wearing my bicycle helmet when i was on the monkey bars i was safer so I'd always wear my bicycle helmet or my football helmet. You never know when a potential concussion could happen. No, it's also Roast Chestnuts Day. Mm. Uh, one of the greatest, uh, I think, Christmas
5: songs. And it actually is called the Christmas song, is it? Instead of chestnuts roasting on an open fire.
3: Let's play. Let's play our version of that song.
6: Okay. Oh,
3: Jingle Bells by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, huh? We we don't have the rights to play Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire song. What if we sang the song? Well, then we would lose the
4: audience, and we probably don't have rights to the this way. Song. We keep
3: the audience, and we stay within our legal rights of what we're allowed to play on if the we, air.
4: If we critique the song, does that count? Like we criticize the yeah. if, the if, if it were part of the cherished story, holiday tradition. Yeah. Like okay. Alan
3: Thicke's passing, we yeah. could play some of his sh- show tunes that he invented, that he created. I would
5: just look at it this way: think of how many people are out there right now, just beaming with happiness that we're playing the Mormon Tabernacle totally. Choir. Totally, this is
3: something we can play, but because our this you know BYU is is a, a subsidiary of the Mormon or the LDS Church, yeah. And the Mormon Tabernacle Choir—they would be a sister
4: to BYU. We can play their I, stuff. I think I have a workaround. What? We could play anything, as long as we're critical of it. No, 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 no. So I could just just come in and just be critical of everything. I mean, yeah. if you want to play Christmas uh, music, I could discuss. I don't really, you know, get off on the be Christmas critical music of stuff. Everything. Well, no, but I could be. Well I know, but that's then it's we're all sounded, then it's sued so
3: down.
5: It sounded to me like they were flat on a few notes there.
3: There oh, you go. Boy. <laughs> now Jesus you're being cover. critical of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. No, they there were we perfect.
4: Go. Just slight critique, maybe we're safe. Are,
3: it's like you guys are missing the point. Just trying to work around. We're just trying to make sure we don't we don't want to use something we're not licensed to use. We can't just throw stuff out there. Goodness. Gracious. Hey, today we'll also be interviewing and replaying an interview that we did with Joel C. Peterson, who uh, wrote the book The Ten Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. Mm. He's the chairman, the CEO of JetBlue.
4: Right. And I believe we did not quite understand that when he just all of a sudden showed up to our studios. Oh, I did.
5: Did you? I knew it when he handed me a bag of blue chips. That's kind of like their. Staple snack on their plane. Yeah,
3: did he, did he? hand you a bag of blue chips?
5: That and a pillow and a blanket. Yeah, that was weird. See, but he made he's me the pay, first guest to bring a pillow and a blanket. But he made me pay the eight dollars for the pillow and the blanket. <laughs> but the chips were they were free. Yeah,
4: wow. I, I tracked him down because he was uh, he's, he teaches at the you know guest speaker guest lecturer type thing at the Stanford School of Business. Right. whatever That's called right. School of Management. And I thought that would be great. Let's get him on. And then all of a sudden, he wants to be in our studios. I'm yeah, like, well, yeah. are you in St- at Stanford? And then also in his bio, it talked about how he works in New York, and he's all yeah. over the place. Like, why are you here?
3: He just comes. He has a company here. He comes to visit.
4: Yeah. But then, then he goes, oh, yeah. And then I mentioned JetBlue, and he goes, oh, yeah, right. He was a great guest. Yeah, he's good. You're going to love the interview. Yeah. And you're
3: going to learn how to build trust, which heaven knows we all need. And you're going to learn it from an executive. See, this is the kind of executive you should have. In the Trump administration.
4: And you know why he's a good executive? Why? Because he okayed TVs in the seat back that Mm. sits in front of you when you're on the airplane. That's a great executive. That was a smart executive. Yeah. Let's give him TV. For sure. We've got that.
3: We will also be um, talking about probably the friendliest thief you've ever met. He's got more Christmas spirit in his little gloved pinky Mm. than... Any other
4: thief, you'll know behind his ski mask, draped face. Yeah, and the holiday spirit.
3: If you're going to wear a mask, yeah. you may as well bring a little Santa good cheer. A little holiday cheer. And Come this on guy is—he's <laughs> oozing the good spirit of Christmas, except for the robbery.
5: So instead of bringing a big red bag of
3: gifts for others, he's bringing a big red bag and taking. And taking, but with an incredible spirit. I mean, if you're going to take, you may as well take...
4: And be positive about
3: with it. ...with a very positive yeah. spirit.
4: Everything's better with a positive attitude.
3: No, totally. If you, I mean, think about it. If you're going to be robbed, you want the guy to be smiling. Absolutely. You know what I mean? A little wink in his eye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Plus, um, if you're really lucky, we will uh, we'll teach you about... How not to get your cell phone if it falls off of a train. Mm. These are
4: life skills, life tips. I mean, tips. this is
3: stuff you don't get everywhere else. Normally,
4: you drop it, let it go. Yeah. Do you think Oprah's covering this stuff? No. 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 Do you think MSNBC, CNN? No. Well, maybe. They have a lot of time to fill. And Kanye can't show up to Trump Tower every day.
3: <laughs> oh, that was fun, too. We'll even get into that excitement. But first, let's do the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on?
4: Thanks, Matt. In a new deep dive into the Russian cyber attack on the Democratic National Committee. The New York Times on Tuesday reports that a series of missed signals, slowed responses, and continuing underestimation of the seriousness of the cyber attack only worsen the situation. The Times unearthed evidence suggesting DNC staff ignored the threat or only superficially attempted to deal with it when a dnc tech support contractor received calls from the fbi warning of a hacker breach of a protected network the tech worker reportedly conducted a cursory search of the dnc computer network to look for hints of intrusions according to his own memos the support staffer didn't investigate much because quote i had no way of differentiating the call i just received from a prank phone call so the FBI calls and he's like, is this real? I don't think it's real. <laughs> Come on, you guys are pulling my leg. Turned out it was real. Hours after bizarrely meeting Tuesday morning with President-elect Donald Trump the New York City rapper Kanye West explained the conversation as a multicultural-issued focused one. These issues include bullying, supporting teachers, modernizing curriculums, and violence in Chicago. Ah. this He said all this on Twitter, of course. I feel it's important to have a direct line of communication with our future president if we truly want to change. He concluded his tweet-based explanation with hashtag 2024, indicating that either West no longer plans to run for president in 2020, as he had tweeted late last year, or that he believes Trump will be a two-term president. Or maybe Kanye's going to run in 2024. Could be. Does he run against Trump? Now, ABC News, World News Tonight, they led their news with Kanye West meeting Donald Trump.
3: Hold on. Really?
4: Yeah, they led their national news. news. That was their top story.
3: Isn't ABC News, I think, is the number one news show? I'm not sure. Could be. Yeah, I think it is.
4: NBC and CBS led with the naming of Rex Tillerson, as we're going to call him, T-Rex, as Secretary of State. ABC, okay. ABC went with Kanye. What would you go with, Matt? Well, what are we going for, ratings or, yeah. you know, a story of importance? Responsible journalism? Probably Secretary of State. I would definitely go with Kanye. Not a 15-minute meeting with <laughs> a rap star. <laughs> That's crazy. Nearly 25% of uh, the Democrats that make up the Electoral College have requested an intelligence com- the intelligence community briefing on the purported foreign inversion into the uh Uh, intervention into the presidential election 54 of the 232 democrats in the group have called on the director of national intelligence james clapper to authorize such a briefing before the official vote on december 19th clap on across the u.s only one republican has joined that demand chris Byrne of texas and he will be dead to anyone in the republican party Mm -hmm. just watch just watch he has crossed a line. He has gone too far. Also, Christmas gifts have arrived at the International Space Station. Courtesy, oh, really? Courtesy of Japan. Great. Because we don't have the capability of getting to the space station, Russia had a uh, supply mission blow up. Yeah, yeah, you don't. A want, couple yeah. weeks ago,
3: and so they. Oh, I'd be to- so mad though if I had like a package on the way right. up on the Russian
4: Japanese cargo ship pulled up with the orbiting lab Tuesday, four days after launching. The capsule contained five tons of food, water, batteries, and other supplies. Mm. Reported the AP, NASA says there's also Christmas presents for the two Americans three russians and one french frenchman that's on board
3: oh i bet he got a croissant a croissant and baguette hey uh i'm going to bet did you notice they had batteries yes See, nothing worse than buying all of these presents right. and then forgetting the batteries so a little shout out to the batteries of america everybody get
4: batteries for christmas one of those astronauts got a tickle me elmo Got to I mean, have batteries. What if you mm. got up there and you had a Tickle Me Elmo sans <laughs> batteries? You then do? that
3: would be an improvement. Then
4: it would just be Tickle Me. And
3: that's not fun.
4: And one more note, the tech summit with President-elect Trump is today. Really? So you got Facebook, Google, Amazon, Tesla, yeah. Uber. They're all begrudgingly... They're all showing up at Trump Towers. So they have see what to happens.
3: show up because you don't want to be the guy that disses the Don.
4: Right. So that'll be something that uh, takes over the news cycle for oh today. Boy. Unless Kanye shows back up, and then it's all Kanye Well, all the maybe song.
3: Jay-Z's going to come now. Beyonce. I
4: don't think so.
3: <clears throat> maybe we'll have a wrap-off. <laughs> Do you remember our wrap-off at the company party? No. Oh, last year you weren't here. Oh, Terry and I
5: took it. Is there going to be another one on yeah. Thursday night? Yeah.
3: I won't be there.
5: So, you're talking about, like, wrapping presents, wrap-off? Okay. Yeah.
3: Oh, it's fantastic. Terry got a paper cut that took, like, three months to heal. It was deep. It was a deep paper cut. Hey, um, if you are in the shopping mood, uh, or even, let's just say, in the robbery mood, Mm. police in Orlando, Florida released surveillance photo Wednesday of a man who they said robbed a store Saturday night. They said the man walked into the store, approached the clerk... Told him to open the drawer and wished him a happy holidays. Huh. So he robbed a store, but was nice enough to offer the old happy holidays, you know, love. We actually have audio from the store, right? Yeah. How did you get that? Uh, they, I think they just pulled it from the security cameras. So this is the actual audio of the man politely robbing a store. Hi, how are you?
5: Did you find everything you were looking for? Well, n- not quite. I really only came in here for one thing, and I-, I was hoping, if it's not too much trouble, that you could help me out. You see, I- I've got this gun, and I... Uh... Look, uh, I won't put up a fight. Just take what you want and go. <laughs> Well, thank you. Oh, that's awfully nice of you. You know, politeness is a trait that's often absent in the people I work with, and you have been simply delightful. (laughs) All right, that seems to be everything. Oh, I almost forgot. Happy holidays. Uh, Happy holidays. Take care now. Oh, man, let me help you with that bag. Looks pretty heavy. Here, and let me get the door for you. And after you, ma'am. Say, that's a nice-looking purse you got there. I'm just curious.
3: You wouldn't happen to have a wallet in there, would you? Wow. He is nice. And he compliments everything.
5: And even the way – I assume he took that wallet, but – Yeah, you know he did. She probably gave it to him
3: after how nice he was. Well, who wouldn't give somebody their wallet if you're going to compliment how beautiful it is? Wow. He sounded like Ned Flanders. A little bit. But it wasn't Ned Flanders. Because we don't have rights to use Ned Flanders. (laughs) Right. Right? So that was just Bernie Flanders. Like Sid. Sid Landers. Landers or something. Sid Landers. Yeah. Sid Landers. Sid F. Landers. Yeah. There you go. Lovely whistle, too. Yes. That was a. That was great. That's, I mean, it's hard to get audio like that. Mm. It's almost like they were following him. It wasn't just like at the checkout stand. Well, they, they, like, I think had, they had a
5: boom mic or something. I think they had security
3: <laughs> cameras outside, too. Yeah. Well, those are some seriously good microphones. They too. they get great audio from those. It's almost like the guy was mic'd up, ready to. <laughs>
4: To be a good courteous thief, it was like it was like a TLC show or something. Yeah, I mean courteous crooks, courteous crooks. It'd be a great show by TLC coming December first. That would be a great holiday special next year. We'll see what happens. We'll try to get it on the schedule. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, uh, we
3: told you about um, the importance. Everybody drops their phone once in a while, right? Mm. It just happens. It's an accident. So a New Jersey transit official say a passenger pulled the emergency stop on a train so he could retrieve the cell phone he dropped on the tracks. Stopped the entire train. Right. Uh, Authorities in New York uh, City, Harlem, New York, said they were riding on it when accidentally he dropped his phone and the car was stopped around 8.20 a.m. near the Secaucus Junction. So rush hour. Caused delays up to 15 minutes. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be to
4: like ah? Gotta well, get my phone. Well, it's your phone. It's important. Yeah. How are you going to play Pokemon Go on the subway? He
3: he was criticized as uh, having reckless behavior.
4: Mm. I yes. mean,
3: because those trains just—they could stop quickly too. You could harm people. People would go flying through mm. the cars. I think when they they said that's an emergency stop, I don't. I think they're thinking you know if somebody's you know dying. Mm. Dismembered, maybe. Yes, yes. Not your cell phone. Mm. Your wife
5: is going into labor. Yeah, if you're going into
3: labor. Not dropping your phone.
5: Well, maybe he had one of those like Tamaguchi apps or whatever. Oh, when yeah, you're maybe. taking care of a baby on your phone.
3: That's a great point. What if he? Yeah. Or what if? You know, what if his phone was ringing when he dropped it? A lot of times you'll, you're pulling it out. That's why you you drop it. You are yeah. so quick to judge. Yeah. I feel bad. I feel bad for judging him now. No, you don't. Just a little advice to any of you that drop your phone off the train. Uh, too bad. Just let it go. Let it go. It's, oh, like, we, it's like if you let drop. It go. Oh yeah, don't <clears> sing that. If you we drop don't have the If you drop your
4: that. keys into a, a river of hot lava. Yeah. Just let it go. Don't. You can't retrieve that. It's yeah, in lava.
3: Can we say "let it go"? Let it be. Let it be. No.
5: Oh. Um, no. Uh, let it be so.
3: Let there be peace on earth.
5: And goodwill toward all people. Let it begin with me. Hmm.
3: We'll have to workshop that. Again, we're trying not to use any songs or... Lyrics. Lyrics, any drops from...
4: Catchphrases. Might be copyright. Uh, Don't want to do that. Because we don't own the rights to them. So
3: I'm pretty sure we can... Can we sing it? Mm Yeah. Yeah. Let's just check Check the manual. Okay. Volume 2. I think yeah. it's volume 2, page 280. I'll look. Dash 5. Dash 5. We will take a break. When we come back, we're talking 10 laws of trust, building the bonds that make a great business with Joel C. Peterson, the uh, founding partner and chairman of Peterson Partners. Also, by the way, the CEO of JetBlue Airways. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody to the matt townsend show we have a great guest in studio with us today joel c peterson joins us and uh joel is a um he's how do we put this he's an author but author may very well be the least of his uh of his accolades he's a graduate uh, from the school of business at stanford university he's also uh the chairman of the board of over uh of uh Uh, By the way, let me name ten companies he's been chairman of the board of, of overseers at the Hoover Institution at Stanford. He's the founding partner and chairman of Peterson Partners, a Salt Lake-based investment management firm. He was the chief executive officer of Trammell Crow Company and uh, currently is the chairman of the board at JetBlue. More importantly, maybe for us today, he's the author of the book, The Ten Laws of Trust. Trust. Building the bonds that make a business great. Joel, thanks for being here with us today. Nice to be with you, Matt. You have a great history also on the board at Franklin Covey Company. I've been on the board at Franklin Covey for 25 years. That's a long that's a long road. Yeah. And of success. Yeah. So talk to us about your book, um, Building the Bond that Make Great Business Great. That's trust, right? So here we have two presidential candidates right now
7: that are struggling deeply in trust. Yeah, they're Both deeply distrusted. Yeah. Uh, In fact, I think it's 46 percent of the population for both of them think they are less trustworthy than most politicians. Wow. And politicians are the least trusted of any – it used to be used car salesmen yeah it did and then attorneys and whatever now it's politicians or the politicians hey, they won yeah they're the head <laughs> yeah. of the pack yeah.
3: so so as a businessman that's uh, succeeded in many of these in many areas talk about uh, the impact of trust how do, by the way is trust earned is trust given how does how does one acquire trust and what would you what would you advise these two candidates to do
7: well it's both earned and given But it can actually be built within an organization. That's the whole reason that I wrote the book Hmm. is because I think you can build organizations that are high-trust enterprises, and you do that in a specific way. You build guardrails that keep you on the road to building high trust.
3: And and so those are – the guardrails are like uh, rules. Are they – what are they? Patterns? Protocols? These are what I
7: call the 10 laws of trust. There you go. And uh, so I I think if you kind of read the book and look at these things, you say, wow, these – these actually would build a high-trust organization if people followed them. And it's – I guess part of
3: the key to this is you got to want to, right? You got to – this isn't something that just
7: accidentally happens. You have to intentionally say we are going to be a company of trust. Yeah, and you have to work hard at it. And it, It's built up a conversation at a time yeah. and can be destroyed with a single act. Oh. So it it's very hard to build. It's one, kind of one-way sticky. Yeah. You know, That's a great way to put
3: it. Yeah. It's one way sticky. Talk about some of those guardrails because um, – and I've seen it. I've seen it at Franklin Covey and I've seen – and uh, Stephen M.R. Covey who wrote the foreword for your book, he's been on the show as well talking about the speed of trust and the efficiency trust brings. Um, but again, it's, it's something that you have to make intentional.
7: Yeah, you have to care a lot about it and uh, I think it starts with your own personal integrity. You know, it's hard to trust somebody who doesn't have personal integrity, yeah. where they compartmentalize their lives or where they spin things and they live their life one way privately and another way publicly. Oh, yeah. It's really hard to build trust right. in that uh, kind of a circumstance. And what does, what does trust afford us? What does it give us? Well, it allows for innovation, uh, collaboration. People collaborate. In a kind of a seamless way. If you trust somebody, mm. you don't have you're not you're not checking up all the time. You're yeah. not wary. You don't have double riveted legal agreements. Right. Things go faster, as Stephen uh, will say. Yeah. There's a speed uh, to smart trust, and uh, so a lot of things happen. And you need that efficiency. It seems like to make it in this market, it's
3: because your competitors can can uh, copy your systems. They can steal your people away, but. They, I guess they can't copy your culture of trust. It's that if you've earned it, that's a competitive advantage.
7: Exactly, and I'm sure Stephen quoted uh, Peter Drucker yeah. saying that uh, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's such a great culture. It is, is a great yeah quote from a great man. Yeah, it really. Did you know Peter? Thing. Did you ever I, get to meet him? I did meet him. In fact, we used to take our partners out to uh, Claremont. Yeah, to to uh, sit at his feet. He was in his 90s, well into his 90s. Peter Drucker,
3: one of the great kind of organizational behaviorists, one of the great minds in
7: organizational development. Well, beyond that, he was really kind of the father of management, modern management. Yeah, modern management. Isn't that amazing? Yeah.
3: And you got to sit at his feet. What uh, did you did you know your entire life business is what you wanted to create? Not at all. How did you fall into being a chairman of so many
7: companies? You know, uh, I I actually went through BYU, yeah. and I took the LSAT, what was called the G or the ATGSB yeah. at the time, which was is today the G-Man. called the G man. Okay, so uh, you were I thinking
3: think, business school or law no, school? No, I was
7: thinking law school, business school. I took the um, the GRE, which is yeah, yeah. the Graduate records Exam, right? And I just I took all these tests, and uh, and I happened to score really high. On this one. So I said, well, maybe that's that's what I should do. do Even when I was there. It, you actually made a mistake in your intro. You yeah. said I graduated from Stanford Business School. I actually graduated from Harvard Business School. Oh, did you really? Yeah, is which, that That's an offense. Yeah, that would make a lot of people. But you, were,
3: you teach classes at Stanford.
7: I've taught at Stanford for 25 years. Boy, it was that hard for you to go to Stanford after Harvard? Uh, no, okay. I, I love Stanford. And you In fact, live
3: near Stanford.
7: Uh, well, we spent part of the year there. My, my, I sent five kids through Stanford, Did you? but I also sent three through Harvard Business School. <laughs> Oh, so, wow. We have divided loyalties. Yeah, you do. That's yeah. not bad. Yeah. It
3: could be a bigger problem. Yeah. Um, so as you as you figured out you wanted to do business, did you learn – did you know trust – was such, was trust always an important idea for you? Like I wrote a book on relationships because relationships always mattered to me. Has trust always been a big part of your life?
7: It has been a big part of my life, but I didn't realize that it would apply so profoundly to business issues. Uh, i I struggled at the beginning to understand accounting and mm. read balance sheets and figure out how to do deals. I started out in the real estate business, and the job there was to do deals buy land yeah. build buildings, lease them up and so that was really the focus of my energy and Then I realized one day that really to build a great enterprise, you have to have these interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. that are that are bu- that are built on trust yeah and it's um, it 's funny because I work with a lot of
3: couples. And once that trust is dissolved, pretty much everything else falls. The understanding, the ability to work together, goal set, growth, development, it all just fades away. It is the foundation.
7: It's very hard to rebuild. Yeah.
3: And and did you – when you think about it, can you go back now at, that you have the ability of hindsight and think, oh, boy, if I could have this moment again, I probably would have implemented these tools now. Oh, yeah, yeah.
7: But you can't live life no. in reverse. You got to move so you, forward. you have to move forward and you have to forgive. So everybody you – know, you'll only be betrayed if you trust. Right. If you never trust, you'll never be betrayed.
3: That's true. So, I, mean, uh, I guess you
7: won't grow either. But you really don't grow much and you don't get very much done. You have yeah. to do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to live in an organization, in a family, in a business organization, whatever, you have to learn to trust. You have to build these laws of trust and these guardrails that you sort of follow. I love that. Let's talk about some
3: of the guardrails. Uh, the very first one, and you were, you were alluding to it a minute ago, you got to start with integrity, right? So I guess you can't have more trust interpersonally or organizationally than you have integrity personally. And at
7: the top of the organization. A top down. Yeah. It's one of these things that uh, really is driven by the leaders of the enterprise. Now, that could be the leaders of a team or whatever, mm. but the leader really sets the tone there and so i think it is having this kind of personal integrity this not compartmentalizing but it's also delivering on promises yeah you know if you have integrity integrity you deliver on promises you say you you're gonna dispel- do it you do it exactly there's no gap
3: well how can this be joel if because our two candidates one of them is going to win the presidency and then yet they're not trusted by the majority the great majority of the country <laughs> either one of them
7: um it won't be a top-down trust. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult. I think the only way to rebuild trust is to talk to us about things like economic growth, national security, and who they're going to bring into their cabinet, who, who, who's okay. their management team going yeah. to be. Right now, they're not talking about any of that. They're blasting each other, mm-hmm. which actually further destroys trust, right. not only in the person they're blasting, but in them. And so I think if they would really focus on those three elements that we all care about. Yeah.
3: And and then bar, I guess can you borrow trust? So if they put in a cabinet that we all see as trustworthy, then we, we they're, they're running on other people's
7: trust. Yeah. I think you can borrow a lot of things. and Eventually, they're going to have to rebuild trust mm-hmm. to lead the nation. But I think you can borrow trust just like you can borrow brands. When I'm yeah. starting a company, a lot of times you don't have much of a brand. Yeah to start with. So you associate with With others others. who have a great brand and and you actually borrow some of what they've earned over the years.
3: But and I guess the end result is you got to get results. So if I promise to get economic growth, then fairly quickly, you need to see economic growth or
7: we won't trust you. Yeah. And you need to stay in contact. You need to communicate. People need to know what's going on. We're so used to spin. now, And and the Internet has really kind of Uh, fuel that whole thing so most of what you read on the internet somebody said the other day that it's like a million page really bad book you know but (laughs) we're addicted to it oh yeah and so people learn not to trust we learn to be wary about everything and so i think you have to you have to stay in contact with people so
3: so integrity is something personally i can do is i cannot promise something i know i can't deliver and i can under promise in order to make sure i am delivering and and make sure
7: it's Legit. And if you're not delivering, if you realize you're going to meet a target, that's not the worst thing in the world as long as you're not hiding it. You know, a a lot of people fail to deliver. And so you can fail for reasons of character, for reasons of not working at it, or for just reasons of we live in a dynamic market. You were unable to perform. That last one will forgive. Yeah. And in many cases, that kind of failure is a preamble to success. Right, right. But If, if If you learn, right? If you learn. But you got to keep talking to people. You have to let people know. Mm. So if you keep promising something and not deliver, people pretty soon will learn not to trust. Well, and
3: we are a very forgiving society, it seems like. I mean, you can do a lot. And I mean, we saw it with uh, even a President Clinton struggled a lot with certain parts of his life and yet was able to regain a lot of levels of trust. I mean, certain parts we may not have ever trusted him fully in. But we're a forgiving country. Just deliver. Yeah. And don't overcommit, which I guess is the politician's problem.
7: Yeah. Well, we have, than, we have to hope. We have to hope because we're going to have one or the other candidate it will yeah. be in the White House, and we have to hope that they'll understand how to rebuild trust. Yeah. Well, and boy, I hope they do.
3: Another thing you brought up as we talk about the internet being a big, billion-page book that <laughs> is just nasty um, <laughs> is we have to invest in respect. It seems like we we don't respect
7: each other like we used to. Yeah, if you ever read some of these pages, uh, blogs and responses, Uh it is outrageous what people say when they're anonymous. Uh Yeah, when you're behind your closed door, sitting there in your robe. Yeah, which says a lot of people don't have a fundamental, profound respect for other human beings Mm -hmm. and points of view. And uh, I think it's very difficult to build a high trust culture where you don't have the kind of respect for others.
3: Well, and but what's so funny about what you're teaching us here? Again, we're speaking with Joel Peterson, author of the book "The Ten Laws of Trust: Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great." Is he's you're also the chairman of JetBlue and other organizations, um, chairman of the board. These some of these principles, Joel, seem so um, so soft, but they you're saying they produce hard results. As well, Yeah, I think they're very hard-edged. I yeah. think they
7: feel soft because people have a misunderstanding of trust. They think it's this soft, but, mm-hmm. oh, I like you, therefore I yeah, trust you. Right. It's really you're looking at is somebody competent? Do they have high character? Yeah. And do they have the authority to deliver? Those three measures, if all three measures are not there, you shouldn't trust them. So trustworthiness then in your eyes
3: is character, uh, I guess, do what you say you're going to do. Exactly. Competency, the know-how. And authority, I guess the the position, the place,
7: the the right. Yeah, the the ability to actually deliver. You you may have high character and high competence, but you're not empowered to deliver. There's no point in trusting you. It's so interesting, huh? Because when we go to a doctor, if they're not board
3: certified, they may not have the authority to be doing certain surgeries or whatever, or they may not be
7: competent at it. Or they, or they may not be able to get into the hospital and have access to the, to the, to the operating room. room.
3: Yeah. So you're going to do it in the so back they may be of motorhome. Yeah, you're going to do it in
7: the, in the back seat of the car. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's not a good idea. Not a good idea. Let's take a break. Um, we're learning a lot here with Joel C. Peterson in his book, The Ten Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. Um, wonderful insight from a true expert. Um, sit back, folks. Put on your thinking cap. We'll be back. More learning about trust. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in studio, Joel C. Peterson joins us and uh, Joel is the current chairman of the board at JetBlue Airways and he believes that nothing could be further from the truth you do not have to be a shark to be successful in business what you really need is trust he wrote the book the 10 laws of trust building the bonds that make business a uh, to that make a business great Joel we appreciate you being here with us It's great to be here man 5 kids huh seven kids
7: seven five daughters five daughters that's yeah. what i heard two sons
3: seven kids and i mean everything you're teaching would apply to the boardroom apparently but also just the
7: the main line at business and also at home yeah i think trust you know if your kids don't trust you if your wife doesn't trust you you're going to have a hard time having a oh. great home culture no then
3: well then you have to explain everything yeah low trust Cultures pay a high tax. Pay a huge tax. Huge tax. So you talked about ten. Uh, I guess you call them basically. They're 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 like freeway. It's what keeps us in the freeway, right? We want to we want to make sure that we stay in the game. You've talked about integrity, investing, in respect. Talk about uh, your your section on um, empowering everyone. Empowering seems like one of those words that we throw out there. That's kind of. You know, fluffy again. It's, I'm here to give you the power. How does trust create empowerment?
7: Well, you. If you don't uh, trust somebody, you won't empower them. But you yeah. you have to trust in increments. Yeah. So at p- some point, you have to give somebody a little bit of power. And what that means is you have to give them responsibility and accountability. They have to know what's being measured. Go. It feels like the opposite of trust when you say, here's what you've right. got to do. Here's the measurement. I'm going to check up on this. But it actually enhances trust. And then as they deliver on that, you can give out more trust and keep empowering people.
3: So that's part of it, I guess, too, is you... you uh... Uh, empowerment with me, I've always thought of the M side of it, the within. The power is already in my 16-year-old to be able to accomplish life, to learn to drive. But I got to get in him enough to figure out how I can help him set the the rules, the guidelines, the boundaries to succeed and, and to eventually resp- get his
7: license. Exactly. How to do it responsibly. Yeah. yeah. And,
3: and that's that really is a leadership skill because totally. some aren't going to empower others. They They almost want to they want to, you know, protect their, their power, keep the power instead of
7: disseminating it, getting it out well, there. Well they think it makes them more powerful if they hoard power. Mm-hmm. And it's just the opposite. Uh, Stan McChrystal, the four star general who uh, headed yeah. Afghanistan, was on our board at JetBlue. And we were discussing one time empowering people because he found that he had all these Delta Force, Navy SEALs, yeah. Army Rangers, et cetera. And he found that he had to push power out as deep into the organization as possible. So they were making decisions in the field. Interesting. And, and he said he did it until it hurt. Until it hurt, yeah. And I think that's really how great organizations develop high trust. You know, if they're accountable, if they deal with breaches, uh, they can continue to push power out into the organization.
3: That seems like a great way to know if you are if you're trusting enough people is if it hurts. I mean, because it should be just as hurtful or potentially harmful that these delta forces could act that, and General McChrystal has to respond if they blow it. There, yeah. So it, cre- it demands this mutual trust that I know you're skilled enough, you've proven it, and I'll give you enough power to make me hang.
7: Yeah. I think that's one of the things that – I mean that's a great way to say it, mutual trust. Yeah. And I think that's when trust is really its most powerful, when it is interdependent, when it's reciprocal. Yeah. And those are the most powerful partnerships. Those are the most powerful marriages. The most powerful businesses are where there's reciprocal trust. It's like people being belayed on a cliff. Right. Right. You know, they basically are roped together. Yeah. Their survival depends on each other. When you develop that level of trust, you can do things that you could not even think of. Otherwise. And you're
3: not saying you just give them that. You're saying you hold them accountable.
7: Absolutely. You
3: set some guidelines. You let them live up to a level and then you can elevate the level and we elevate the responsibility.
7: Exactly. I think if you have a project in a business, you have a budget, you have a timetable. You have specific deliverables, and then whoever is the champion of that budget then gets measured against those things. And that is a measure of trust. It's not the opposite. You just say, go build a building, uh, and I'll trust you to do it. It, That isn't trust. You've got to have these other measures to have.
3: And and I guess there is – then there's the accountability, but the accountability – just becomes a validation of trust, really. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, you did it.
7: It proves it up and then it allows you to then trust more the next time. Uh-huh. Right? So you build on – if you think about it, you're building it a layer at a time, a molecule at a time, a conversation at a time, a delivered project at a time. Hmm. You're building trust with that party.
3: Do you sense in corporate America, in the business world, is is trust going up? Is trust going down? Where are we in the trust factor of – of our leaders. It seems like a lot of institutions we don't trust anymore. It seems like a lot of businesses
7: we don't trust. Yeah, we've lost trust in a lot of people, in a lot of leaders, and a lot of businesses. Uh, but I don't think you can generalize. I yeah. think there are some that are just wonderful organizations that are very high trust. You could turn your life over to them. Right. I think uh, just as most doctors, you know, you'd say you could really tr- – and we do trust our rights to doctors. Every once in a while, you'll find one that doesn't mm-hmm. have a degree or is doing something outside of the bounds. But that, is, that shouldn't tar everybody. Right. They get or, a lot of press. Or writing
3: a letter for Donald Trump that seemed a little <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like – I guess that's the key, isn't it? It's a, it's a personal thing. It, trust is – And I could have it with a company, right? So if a company harmed me, if a company did something, they didn't treat me right as a customer, I might not trust the company. But it's probably really an employee
7: I don't trust. Although the company, uh, if it learns about it, should step in. Yeah. You know, companies correct those things, you know, at JetBlue, we left people stranded on the tarmac. About, I remember that. Yeah, what everybody remembers that. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've tried to <laughs> make everybody forget. Right. But basically, David Nealeman, our founder and CEO, yeah. is one of the wonderful mm-hmm. human beings and great entrepreneurs in the airline industry. He basically came up with a bill of rights for customer it wasn't the government that came in and made him do it he just he apologized yeah and he came up with this customer bill but joel wasn't
3: that just a big pr move nick no no that was i i know uh, i know neilman's family and no that was probably his mother <laughs> 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 or his father saying knows him
7: it may have been that, like, their voices in you, his ear that's right you but, uh, it treat was people David. right yeah
3: how powerful yeah. Well, i mean i guess again that's the top down model yeah Another point you bring up about trust is you got
7: to keep everyone informed. I think this is vital. It's very hard to have a tr- yeah. high-trust organization if you're hiding things. Mm-hmm. So what that means to me is you have to tell good news and bad news. Yeah. You have to talk before, during, and after events. A lot of times people just deal with the event and they try to spackle yeah. over it. La, la, la. And keep that going. actually destroys trust. Yeah. So, so true. Yeah. If you so let people true. know that here's a bad thing that happened, here's how we're dealing with it, by the way, here's how we dealt with it. Uh, that actually builds trust. So bad events are not necessarily trust-destroying. Well,
3: and again, if I don't trust you, then I won't tell you. Yeah. So if you're not getting a lot of information, it might be that people around you
7: don't trust you. Yeah, they know to hold their cards close to the chest. Interesting,
3: because we we also see that with the candidates as well. We are not we don't seem to be getting the whole story of <laughs> any part of their life, of any part of their privacy, of any part of their health, of any part of anything. Yeah. and. There. I mean I guess when you're, you're in that position, it makes sense. If you don't trust the press, if you don't trust the right-wing conspir- conspiracies, you probably aren't going to give as much. No. No how much. do you – how do we as um, a general like population trust a leader? Um, is there stuff we can do to, to help our ability to trust somebody enough to elect them?
7: Well, uh, you know, I've often wondered. I've actually talked to several candidates in the past. Uh, yeah, they and need to
3: have you on board. Well,
7: I, I've talked to them about, you know, not do, using all this negative messaging. Yeah. And the problem is they say that every single political consultant says that the negative messaging is all that scores points. Uh, Positive messaging or neutral messaging right. scores no points at all. So I think in this uh, media-driven sort of gossip hive yeah we live in bad news gets totally the front page right because it's it it resonates it
3: it takes care of our fear once we got the fear taken care of then we'll go to the hope
7: well it's it's very power fear is very powerful force and fear are extraordinarily powerful in the short run Mm -hmm. as is reward right and if you really want to start relying on things like duty and love those are much – they're much more powerful. Yeah. They're much stickier, but they take a lot of time to time. build up. But they also give you
3: huge advantage long term. Yeah. So it, I guess as a leader, that's what everyone has to decide is am I willing to, to build the long term, you know, kind of not, the softer skills. But really, they're really the more human skills.
7: Yeah. And I think in our – Uh, Financial markets were measured by quarterly results, which doesn't encourage people Mm -hmm. to think about the long term. It's interesting. In today's market, there are a lot of companies that are not going public. They are staying private. In fact, there's 148 what we call billion-dollar companies that normally would have gone public a long time ago. And they're not doing it. They're just doing it. They're staying private. Part of that's due to regulations. Yeah, why?
3: I guess they can then run it any way they need to without as much
7: disclosure? Well, they don't have as much oversight, as much regulation, mm-hmm. as much government intervention. So consequently, they they feel more empowered and they can raise the capital privately. Huh. There's debt capital available. Yeah, and, uh, But the problem with that is it actually exacerbates the income differential because uh, pension funds cannot invest in private. They have to that's invest right. in public – Shares. So we're actually doing the opposite of what politicians we're, say they want to do.
3: We're harming
7: ourselves. Yeah. Inadvertently. So I yeah. think not understanding second and third order consequences is another way to destroy trust. Mm-hmm. Inadvertently, yeah. maybe naively and or innocently, but it's every bit as trust destroying.
3: Well, and it's because we hear so much about Wall Street, the corrupt Wall Street. And I mean, it might make sense why... No one wants to go there. No one wants to play.
7: And I've dealt with Wall Street for 44 years. As uh, an
3: executive.
5: As an
7: executive. I borrowed money from them. I worked with them. And truly greed does drive a whole lot of what happens there. But there's a lot of high character individuals where their word is their bond. uh, Really good professionals there. Mm. So I think we tend to tar people with a brush. Yeah. We have a media totally. kind of a look at things that uh, isn't very accurate. Well,
3: and especially today, in just in the election culture, it's just – Anything can, yeah, bites. we've got two months to get this thing done, and every, anyone will say anything, it seems like, right now.
7: Well, and they've learned to talk in 140 characters. <laughs> so, so we're making policy in 140 characters. So true.
3: So true. Well, we appreciate you coming to see us, Joel. Again, go check out the book, 10 Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. Joel Peterson's his name, folks. You're not going to want to miss out on this one. A great example, I think, to all of us that you can... You can build business, but you can also build trust as you do it. Joel, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Matt. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. A wonderful interview there with Joel Peterson about the power of trust uh, and you see it. How great that you have these corporations. Um, we hear of all these mega companies, all these mega money makers, and yet, also to have a, a real corporate leader talking about trust. How powerful is that? Boy, a Jupiter woman from Jupiter, Florida, could have. Um, she could have used the little trust pep talk from Joel Peterson. A sixty-one-year-old woman Monday evening walked up to her boyfriend who was eating squid outside of a Jupiter, Florida restaurant. She slapped him in the face and then threw the squid at her longtime boyfriend, covering him. Oh, boy. It,
6: audio I think from he was, the scene.
3: I think he was eating live squid. That was a live squid. Boy, that wow. scream seemed a little disjointed, disconnected from the actual squid. Uh, boy, I didn't know it was a live squid. That's, I didn't know that's what squid sounded like. Yeah. Well, when they're sucking on your face like that, yeah, you're going to scream. She also threw Joanne Accenturo, Accenturo, threw the man's wallet at him as well and then fled in their Buick LeSabre. Little commercial for Buick. Buick.
5: When you need to get a quick getaway after throwing a squid at your boyfriend.
3: (laughs) Have you been attacked by squid? Try Buick LeSabre. Quick drive to the hospital. I mean, do you do you think it was just like fried squid? That sounded like it was live squid. But I think do people just eat live squid? I don't think they do. do apparently,
5: they? they do. Jupiter, they do.
3: When I first read this, I'm like Jupiter.
5: I you know maybe we ought to ask Pluto about this. Yeah, I'm sure Pluto they don't have. Squid he might on not them. have the nicest things to say about Jupiter though. Yeah, no. They, that he, no, is he's the planet mad. that stole
3: his right. fiance. Yeah, every time we bring up Jupiter with Pluto, he gets mad. But he's irritable. Not to be rude, I'm not trying. I'd be mad too if they said I'm a dwarf planet. I'd be mad. <sighs> Watch out, folks. Building trust, you don't use squid. It's not the fastest way to build trust. Instead, talk it out. We can all be friends. We'll take a break. We'll be back. Next hour, more fun right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your
1: guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Monkey Day. This is the day we celebrate monkeys. Monkeys. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Not monkey wrenches and not monkey bars. Not monkey wrenches, not monkey bars. Monkey bread? Pardon? Bread.
3: Monkey bread. You've never heard of monkey bread? Never heard of monkey bread. Have you heard of monkey bread? No. No. I've heard of monkeying around. We don't do that here. No. Not since the last HR review. You do a little monkeying around, we called it. They called it hazing. What's the big hazing news out, Terry? Uh, you're not allowed to haze in the Major League Baseball anymore? was it? Baseball?
4: Yes, you can't dress the rookies up as women and shame them in public. Are you still allowed to throw a pie of whipped
3: cream in there or a yeah, shaving cream in their face? Yeah, that's just fun stuff you do in the That's community. not hazing.
4: No, it's not hazing. Okay.
3: But you can't tape people to, like, the shower pole anymore?
4: That's just high school. That's fine. Yeah, you're but,
3: okay. That's fine in high school. <laughs>
4: Well, unless they have rules.
3: It depends. Oh, yeah. Don't go against the rules. There's, yeah. yeah.
4: I'm, not, I'm not advocating anything here.
3: <coughs> Good. I still have a cough, by the way. Excuse me. Luckily, we caught that on your mics. Um, uh, today, by the way, roast chestnuts day. Um, it's close enough. It's close enough, but it's not chestnuts roasting on an open fire day. And that's the song I thought we'd be playing. We're playing a lot more of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Just to be on the safe side. Yeah, We don't want to... We've run into some situations where we might be using songs that we don't necessarily have full rights to. But the MoTab, Mormon Tabernacle Choir, they're a sister entity of BYU. So we feel safer using... Just as long
5: as they don't have, like, a guest performer. Oh, yeah. Like okay. David Archuleta.
3: Oh, dear. I shied away from that one. Yeah, that was good. That was good. So, um, happy Roast Chestnuts Day. Today is the day that, I think it's pretty much the only day that chestnuts really get their due. You know? Mm. Like, when I was a kid, we grew up walking up to school. We'd have to walk on Chestnut Street where there were chestnut trees, and we would throw chestnuts at each other. And, you know, then the principal would get called.
5: Right. Oh, every time we have an open fire, they get their due. They get what's coming to them.
3: You're very anti-chestnut. You burn those bad boys. Oh, yeah. Can can you burn a chestnut, roast a chestnut on a closed flame, on a closed fire?
4: Only the open style. Okay. They, um, They'd put it in the song if you could.
3: Right. I mean, don't you remember the days when you just used to go to a warming shack and no, just roast mm. chestnuts? Have
5: you ever roasted nuts before? No.
4: Walnuts, no. peanuts. Have no. you honey roasted nuts before? I bought some. What about yeah. a nice, nice cashew?
3: I love, it. I love me a good cashew. Don't mm. get me wrong. I've eaten many. A, a nut, not a chestnut. Okay. I mean, I, I've had chestnuts. They're...
4: Pine nuts? Pine nuts are good.
3: Pine nuts aren't really good.
4: They're not good at all. Do you Pistachios. think they're good? I, I just see them everywhere on the road. I figure if they're mm-hmm. not going to be out there on the side of the road unless they're good.
3: I mean, they're fun. I think they're fun. They're Christmassy, but hmm. I don't, never do I say, <laughs> man, I have this hankering for some pine nuts.
5: That's right. Somebody was just yesterday <laughs> on the side of the road selling pine nuts. Like everyone
3: just said that. They went,
4: wait a second, I've seen that sign. <laughs> what about corn nuts? Like a nice ranch. Yeah.
3: But they'll they'll blow your molars right off. Right. They will.
4: Hmm. So such a difficult world. Mixed
3: mixed nuts?
5: I love them. Are there any that you have to take out? Or can you just throw them all in there willy nilly?
3: Walnuts make my throat itch. Hmm. But right now my throat's mess, so it won't matter. If it's itching or just totally a hamburger. It doesn't matter. Wow. We've
4: explored that topic.
3: Yeah. I didn't think we were going to go there. (laughs) But the fun thing about the show, this is what's neat, that you can celebrate with us. We don't know where it's going from one minute to the next.
4: And I mean... Or we have a rough sort of
2: I mean, we direction. know. Yeah, yeah. Like,
3: I know in a few minutes we will be bringing on Paula Davis-Lack, who's going to talk to us today about five ways to unplug when you're short on time.
5: Right. Isn't there just one way to unplug? You just pull it out of the wall?
3: No. There's five. Oh. Okay. It depends. Should explain? It depends how yeah. you're plugged in, right? I mean, you can be plugged in a variety well, of Well, I ways. guess you could- Like, you, you could, know better than anybody that you got to oh, watch out for a plug. Yes, thank you for that. Because you, for example, plugged a plug in to an outlet, and the plug wasn't connected to a dryer, but the outlet was live. And you were seconds away from being
5: dead. So, you can pull it at the base. Yeah. You can uh, pull it at the cord and
3: wiggle it until it comes out. You can say,
1: go, go, go
3: yes that's the third way the power can dim your children can scream smoke can come off your fingertips your hair can stand on end you can use your teeth to unplug it you found a few ways to do it
4: yeah don't don't do that
3: just a little health shout out uh on the matt townsend show what did we learn about that jeff what did we learn we what, what don't we do with plugs
5: you uh, you don't do something stupid like that at home and then come to work next day and tell your
3: coworkers about it. Especially That's what if you don't do. have a radio show. Especially when your wife's out of town.
5: Was she out of town? No, she was just at Home Depot.
3: Yeah, so she was out of pocket. <laughs> she could have lost you. You know how mad I'll be if you do that again? I'll be mad at you. Well, I'll be dead if it happens again. Well, no, I'll kill
4: you. Not to be rude. Now let's get to the headlines, Terry. What you got for us? Thanks, Matt. Speaking of hazing, the Marine Corps general announced on th- on Tuesday that he is recommending charges in special court martial for three Marine sergeants and a preliminary hearing for a fourth following a hazing probe in South Carolina. Last September, the Marine Corps said that it was considering potential repercussions for up to 20 Marines at Paris Island. This came after three investigations into alleged abuse of recruits by drill instructors. At that location, the investigation came to light after the death of a 20-year-old recruit in March. A California man believed to be armed was found to be carrying just a, wo- a wooden crucifix after police shot him dead early Monday. According to local media reports, Bakersfield assistant police chief said there, uh, the officers responded to a report of a man acting strangely. Officers had been told he was holding a revolver, a revolver when they arrived. Francisco Serena, 73 year old who was struggling with dementia, allegedly failed to respond to orders that he stop walking towards them and take his hands out of his jacket. Seven officers responded to the scene. One of those officers fired seven shots. Whoa. At Serena. Boy. Yeah. Seven shots. In other news, as we've talked about this morning, Alan Thicke, famous for starring on the TV show Growing Pains, passed away at the age of 69 Tuesday following a heart attack. He was transported to the hospital after having a heart attack while playing hockey with his son. He was known for as long as uh, as well as the TV show. He was known for as a theme song co- a composer. Hmm. He, the original Wheel of Fortune theme song. Yeah, he composed that one. Different Strokes, Facts of Life, or some oh, were some 80s sitcoms.
3: Oh, those great shows. A was...
4: bunch of game shows that he and he, he did an interview with. I believe it was Vanity Fair talking about the lost art. Of the theme song. Because oh, yeah. now it's like if you do something, it used to be 30 seconds, theme song. They kind of tell a brief little story and interdu- introduce you to the thing. Now it's just the title of the show and maybe they hit like a chord mm-hmm. and move away it's as fast as possible.
5: Not the same. Parks and up. Recreation, one of the best theme songs ever written.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. Also Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, by Scale the way, uh, we failed to mention um, Alan Thicke was a writer on one of uh, Jeff's favorite shows of all time
4: the Barry Manilow talk show
3: what was that theme song
5: I think it was Oh Mandy it was Oh Mandy yeah and Barry Manilow did not write that and I think Alan Thicke actually
4: added the line oh oh nice It used to just be Mandy. That's where he got the credit for the sun. Left his mark. Yeah. And finally, Earthlings Mm -hmm. are completely unprepared for an asteroid or a comet hurling towards our planet. No, true.
5: true. A NASA scientist
4: said on Monday. Joseph Nuth, a researcher with the Space Agency's Goodard Space Flight Center, said the biggest problem basically is there's not a lot we can do about it at the moment. Mm. As he spoke with the the gathering of this meeting, noting that such an Armageddon-like event would be extremely rare, but on the other hand, there are extinction-levels events, things that, uh, you know, kill the dinosaurs f- every 50 to 60 million years apart, essentially goes, you could say, we're, we're kind of due. Oh, geez.
3: <laughs> when, okay, let's just talk about it for a second, because when a meteor or an asteroid is going to hit the earth, do you, are you supposed to assume like a crash position?
4: Well, no, what you do is you find a mining group that you can, uh, you know, basically give them whatever they want. Because the mining, like you mean like miners. Deep sea miners. Deep sea. Because where else are they going to have that kind of hostile environment to operate in? Deep sea, space. Interesting. You go put the miners on the asteroid, they drill into the asteroid, Uh, explosives. I think
3: you're thinking of a movie. Well, that's the blueprint we can go with. Well, no, I'm saying if the the meteor hits Earth, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to duck and cover.
5: We just need one of those oil drillers to stay up on the asteroid and just be willing to take one for the
4: team. We need Bruce Willis. That's that's the only thing that okay, happens you
3: guys here. are going into movie lore. <laughs> this isn't. I'm talking about real life. Yeah.
4: Bruce Willis is
5: real.
3: It's real. Is this Pluto music? Is this space it's music? space.
6: Yeah.
4: This is what it sounds like when you're standing in the surface of that comet. Or asteroid, or... Heavenly body of rock that's It sounds like you know,
3: somebody left the
4: chopper on. The blender? Yeah. Maybe? A really nice oscillating. My loop? ninja. Yeah. My ninja. <laughs> Somebody's making me a smoothie. By that's the way,
5: I, our blender is dying, so I've had to use a wooden spoon to push the ice cream down mm, when I'm making shakes. So safe. the other night we uh, were sipping out our shakes from the straws
3: and just mm. just picking out little pieces of wood
5: fiber. throughout.
4: It's fiber. That's what I told my wife. Oh,
3: yeah. You know what, just as somebody that has been at this a little longer than you, whenever you use the the spoon, always take it out and look at it. And if it's like an inch shorter than the one you put in, mm. then I'd probably just throw the whole batch out. It was it was
4: one of the best shakes I've ever made. Rules are live by.
5: Do
3: you remember that's when your yeah. kids
4: learned the word fiber? If the spoon part of the wooden spoon is missing it had a smoky
5: flavor to it, so tasty. Mommy, mine tastes like oak.
4: <laughs> Just eat your shake. Yeah, the, the, back to the uh, asteroids. The scientist says the last one we knew about that was really big that was a concern. We had a 22 month advance notice. So okay, because you can do literally nothing in 22 months when it comes to space travel. So no, we can't See, get off the planet. We can't launch that's, anything. That's at a it. federal government
3: employee, right there, telling you that. <laughs> I say we dig deeper. Ah, that's right. Go hide. Get underground. That's a good point. I mean, it's not like a meteor is going to go underground, it's going to recreate the ground.
4: Depends on where it hits, yeah.
3: This is depressing. Okay. I'm so done there with you go. That.
4: That's too depressing.
3: That was that's that wasn't. See, Sadie used to do happier headlines. Yeah, at the end.
4: No, that's all right. I'm, I'm going a different tact with it.
3: Yeah, you're kind of going into the dark. Yeah,
4: I was going to do a Star Wars review, but we just don't have time for that.
5: Well, Wait, we but do. you haven't seen it.
4: You're seeing it on Friday. I, I've seen some reviews. I have an Economist's estimation of how much money it would cost to run the Death Star. I have some stories, but we just don't have time.
3: Well, we do. How could you tease us like that
4: you're
5: and then
3: not do it? You're just leaving us hanging. So
4: we have there's more days in this week. We're I would okay. have
5: taken out my shake story. It's okay to hear about Star Wars. I've got. I don't
3: even like your shake story.
4: I've I've got a review, kind of positive. There's actually one in the New Yorker that's like incoherent. Really? Yeah,
3: that's good. Let's like, read that one. That
4: one's really fun to. I read it to my wife yesterday. She's like, I'm not even sure if that was a sentence. Yeah, it's great, but it's getting decent reviews. Yeah, yeah, the movie's great. The movie stuff blows up. It's good.
3: Okay. Well, good times. Let's uh, take a break. When we come back, five ways to unplug when you're short on time. You know, how do you relax when you you can't leave the office? Great, great tips. Take a nap. Take a nap. Every day I do it. Then people keep knocking on my door. Rude. Rude. We'll be right back, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. I think we can all agree that we need a break from work sometimes, right? When you think of the rest, the relaxation, the recovery, you probably picture sunbathing under some palm trees, maybe with a little tropical smoothie in your hand. But uh, what if you don't have time to relax? You got all that planning, all that travel, those stressful meetings. You're just trying to plow through your job. Well, today uh, we have a stress and resilience expert, Paula Lack-Davis. Paula Davis-Lack. She's been on the show before, and uh, today we're picking her brain about five ways to unplug when we're short on time. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us.
0: Oh, thanks so much for having me back on.
3: Good to have you. This is is such a perfect topic because now I'm battling a cold, and it's probably because I never took your advice earlier. I've got to (laughs) figure out how to unplug. (laughs)
0: oh i hear you i'm I'm, uh battling my own uh little cold as well and i think lots of us are too and what's really funny is i was talking with a coaching client last night and she she was talking about how she finally unplugged from work she's a physician because she got sick and so uh, i think it's really interesting that a lot of us are starting to think like um, stillness is, is now forcing us to actually slow down and, and unplug a little bit. Oh, that is
3: horrible. I just did it. I spent a week out last week, and um, but it, it, I, you don't unwind because now in my head I'm thinking I've got so much more to do now.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because one of the things that she had mentioned, too, is that she uh, she actually didn't open her computer for a few days which she said felt really great. But then she realized, oh, my gosh, I'm so far behind on answering emails and getting you know, back up to speed with where I you know, would have been had I not been sick. So it's a double-edged sword.
6: Oh,
3: and this is something that I, I'm assuming more and more companies have to deal with because we, it used to be you, know, you could leave your job because the phones weren't connected, the emails weren't connected to you. Now it seems like I'm, I'm always on.
0: We are always on at work, and it's uh, really something that's snowballed into a, a really big problem that I think uh, a lot of companies are facing, especially, you know, when they when they give me a call and they say, hey, can you come in and talk to our employees about burnout? And, and they do, and one of the things, and one of the questions that I always hear is, you know, how does technology sort of drive all of this? I mean, and we know that... Um, we are expected to be tethered to our devices 24/7, and even if that's not the message that's sent in your workplace culture, we just feel that that's the case. We hear that ding or we see that little light flash on, and, and it draws our attention, and we and we feel like we have to be responsive and. That cuts into family time, that cuts into personal time, that cuts into relaxation and recovery time. And, you know, we're really seeing the effects with increased burnout rates.
3: Mm -hmm. You talk about internal recovery versus external recovery. Explain that to us.
0: Sure. So internal recovery, uh, I think a lot of people think, especially, you know, you're working hard at work and you just sort of pound through and you want to get home and that's when you'll have time to rest and relax and catch up. Um, But the research is is really clear in showing that if you really want to slow down the effects of burnout and manage your stress in a better way, you have to be able to find moments of recovery and recharge both at work, and so that's the internal recovery, and outside of work. So that's the after work hours, that's the weekends, that's the vacations. So you have to become good at combining both of those.
3: Mm. Yeah, you can't either or it.
0: No, but we do.
3: Yeah, we do, don't we? Yeah. (laughs) But then you're just burning the candle at both ends, and eventually you're just a burnout.
0: Absolutely.
6: Hmm.
3: I think that's what I'm going through right now. So um, (laughs) when you say recovery, uh, is that different than recreation? We always hear about we need more recreation, and I love the word recreation, where we're Mm -hmm. supposed to be recreating ourselves. But it seems like recovery is more like putting yourself back together
0: be both. I think one of the problems that we see is that when you don't recover enough, when you don't take that recreation time or that recharge time, it's going to take you longer and it might be a little bit more difficult to maybe put yourself back together, if you will, from, from all of the stress, the accumulated stress you've been experiencing. Um, so, so recovery, I think, is really meant to be really a, a daily habit that we start to get into so that we don't have to sort of pick up the pieces in a more drastic way, you know, after weeks or months or even years of, of ignoring kind of what we're supposed to be doing on a, on a habitual basis every day.
3: Mm. Man, it really is. It's um, like uh, I was supposed to start this exercise program that we were filming for TV, and <laughs> I thought, but I was sick last week. And even this week, they're like, okay, hey, so do you want to shoot it Friday? And I'm thinking, I really... I feel like if I go try to exercise, which seems like a great recovery idea, except yeah. not if you're exhausted.
0: No, and it, 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 so then it sort of defeats the purpose, right? So yeah,
3: then I'm just it's gonna it'll be another week or two or three.
0: No, and, and one of the things too, so if you can get in the habit of exercising on a regular basis, it might have downstream effects like producing fewer colds or illnesses, or kind of helping to inoculate you more from yeah. stress down down the road. But um, once you're actually sick, I mean, I've just been going through this, too. I I have this lovely workout routine that I love um, that's a kickboxing routine. But when I'm so stuffed up and I can't, like, bend my head over or I (laughs) feel like I'm going to pass out because I'm so stuffed up, the exercise at that point is is pointless.
3: Yeah. You may as well just, you know, do your funeral services. Get those ready.
0: (laughs) Hey, um,
3: let's go through some of your points, and then we'll take a break. Let's just actually do the first one. You, you talk about a Zygarnik effect. Explain what is that. We need to tame the Zygarnik effect.
0: What in the world? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I thought that that was sort of an interesting little uh, term to throw in there. But it refers basically to the researcher who discovered that uh, when we sort of look at our to-do list and we see all of these unfinished tasks, we tend to ruminate, which is to just sort of think over and over and we can't escape kind of that circular thinking in our head about everything that we didn't accomplish. Mm. And I hear this from so many people who wake up in the middle of the night or they are laying in bed just staring at the ceiling because they're just thinking about all of the stuff that they didn't get done and that they're going to have to face and do the next day that's keeping them awake. And so the way to really um, overcome that, and, and I literally have a pad of paper my bedside which is to just get it out of your head so I call it a brain dump or a brain spill so if you're thinking about all the stuff that you didn't do or you need to do just write it down even if it's two in the morning it just the act of transferring it from your brain onto a pad of paper really lets your brain go oh thank you I don't need to you know keep thinking about this anymore and it really shifts gears and helps you be able to fall asleep in a better way yeah um, but one of the things that's really important is to actually have it be a piece of paper because I've had I've had folks try this where they're like oh, I'm just going to make a note on my phone and what happens is then they open their phone they start to check email that winds them up more mm. and the process you know doesn't really doesn't really help
6: yeah i
3: taught time management forever and we would always say well don't whatever you do don't pull out another post it note kind of thing but now we pull out the phone but the phone is a stimulant right it, it wakes oh, us yeah. up it makes it so our mind spins faster and so interesting write it down make your list you can then take a picture of it later <laughs> And put yeah, it in you your, can phone. your
0: phone later and take a picture of yeah. it if you want.
3: If you really are obsessed with getting it that's in your great. phone. Oh, that's some right. great. That's some great. I did not know the Zagarnik effect, that tendency to ruminate. Interesting learnings, Paula. Let's take a break, come back and continue the discussion about how we can, uh, I don't know, buy us some time, unplug, when we still are about life and business. Stick with us, folks. More with Paula Davis-Lack. Go check out her website, Paula davis with two A's, L-A-A-C-K.com. She's a great resource. She's been on Forbes, you name it. The, the Steve Harvey Show, Self Magazine. She's everywhere. She's teaching us today how to be healthy and still productive. It's the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. come back friends to the Matt Townsend show. Are you burning the candle at both ends? Uh, are you stressed out of your head? Well Paula Davis lack. Can help us with that. She's the founder and CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute. If you go to stressandresilience.com, you can find out more about uh, the work she's doing. She also has an ebook, Addicted to Busy, Your Blueprint for Burnout Prevention. And she wrote a wonderful article in Forbes, Resilience Requires Recharging, Five Ways to Unplug When You're Short on Time. Uh, Paula Davis-Lack, thanks so much for being with us.
0: Thanks so much, Matt.
3: You bet. You talked to us about the Zagarnik effect, how we need to tame it, which is our tendency to ruminate. So instead of thinking and thinking about what we should be doing, make a list, get it out of your head, write it down, and then go to bed. Um, Another tool you give us is to create an 11-minute habit. What do you mean by that?
0: Yes. So there's some really interesting science around how habits are created, and it's really this three-step process essentially so when we think about a habit that you have a habit that you want to maybe start or maybe a habit that you want to break so for me it's easier to think about a habit that I want to break which is what I write about in the right. article so, so what happens when you're forming a habit is the first step is, is a cue so it's that trigger that tells your brain to sort of go into automatic mode like hey we've gone through this we've gone down this pathway before here we go again The second part of a habit is the routine. So it's the actual physical, mental, or emotional activity that you do. And then the last step is the reward or the payoff. What's Mm. that lovely little feeling or thing that you get that makes you go, oh, that's right. This is why I love doing this particular activity. Um, It's going to cause me to do this activity over and over again. So that's really the three-step Process for creating a habit, and the 11 minute part was really just um, actually from a friend of mine because she thought she's like, I'm super busy, but I know I can at least find 11 minute 11 minutes in my day to either work on building something or work on curbing something. Mm. So in the article, I just write about sort of one of the one of the habits that I'm trying to get better at breaking, which is this habit that I have in the evenings of wanting to eat something sweet, and that usually means making chocolate chip cookies. Uh, <laughs> For myself and so what I've noticed is that right around 8 o'clock I, I, I get bored you know like I'm not working on anything I'm sort of done for the day our daughter is in bed uh, and so I'm just sort of sitting there and that uh, triggers this need to like okay actually get up and do something so I uh, then go and make cookies and then at the when I'm done I eat the cookie and I go oh this warm wonderful
6: cookie, mm. is
0: so delicious um, but instead of doing that, what I'm trying to do is to sort of replace that with a smoothie or something that's a little healthier that will still give my brain that little fix that goes, oh, yes, yeah, this tastes great. But instead of it being a cookie, it's, it's something that's a little bit healthier.
3: Yeah, and it's – but it's also you can recognize – oh, hey, it's time to make my smoothie. You create a cue. I do this with couples that are arguing, and instead of doing the fight-or-flight routine, you could make a new habit of recognizing emotion. Or, I mean, and it doesn't matter what it is as long as you're kind of turning it into now a healthier automatic response.
0: Sure. And, and what my friend had suggested in terms of the 11 minutes is just to, if you're thinking about starting a brand-new habit, so we're all thinking about, you know, New Year's resolutions are coming up and what do we want to start doing more of? Usually I hear a lot of exercise, you know, resolutions and things. So really um, what is recommended is just to spend 30 seconds or less on the cue, uh, 10 minutes or so on the routine part, and then 30 seconds or less reflecting on the reward. Mm. So just starting to build that into your day.
3: And and if you actually, it seems like sometimes we don't ever, we don't, Spend any time focusing on the reward, but it's the reward that made the whole other eleven minutes worth it.
0: Oh, absolutely, and especially if you're talking about a positive habit that you want to start, uh, not not blowing by that great feeling that you have when you have exercised, or you know, a lot of people talk about the runner's high. If you know, if you're if you're a runner, that good feeling that you notice. You know, even if it was an intense workout and your muscles are sore, maybe later on in the day you're like, wow, I actually noticed that I have more energy. Making note of that is really important.
3: What do you say to the person that thinks, you know, that taking a break, uh, meditating in the day, taking a nap even in the day, it's just, it's not, it's a waste of time. You shouldn't be yeah. doing any of that.
0: Oh, I hear this all the time, especially with my uh, corporate work, because I think when I suggest to people that they need to take breaks during the day, managers and leaders all of a sudden perk up, and the look on their face is like, no, right. they need to do They can't stop. And, and one of the things that I really try to emphasize, especially if you're talking about that internal recovery at work, is that it doesn't need to be long and really shouldn't be long. So we're not advocating that you go you know, spend an hour recovering or relaxing. It's more like how do you build in these small little doses of five minutes here, maybe even 10 minutes there. And, you know, we know that there's a lot of effective things that can be accomplished in five or 10 minutes. Meditating is one of them. Um, A recent study actually talked about how um, you can just reflect. So just do like five minutes of reflective writing about how you feel you're making a difference at work, how um, you're deriving some meaning from your work, if that is something that you actually do derive as meaning from your work, or or even something simple like showing gratitude to someone who you work with. Like, Mm. have you forgotten to thank somebody who helped you with this big project three weeks ago? And it doesn't take any time at all to shoot somebody an email or actually walk down the hall and acknowledge and say, thank you. So it's little bits and doses that should just be kind of sprinkled in during your day.
3: Yeah. What Do you suggest any technology we should be using that would alleviate some of this daily stress?
0: Yeah. So here, here we're talking about how we're always tethered to our devices and we, you know, we can't um, break free. But I think that what can really help people is to take advantage of um, different apps that are on your phone that can help you uh, whether you want to start that meditation habit or, or do um, something else or track something else. Um, so one of the apps that I talk about in the article is something called Moment. So that actually tracks your frequency of automatic phone use. So if you're actually concerned that, you know, you're reflexively without really any purpose, kind of staring at your phone all the time, download that app and that can help you um, sort of track that. Uh, another app is called Happify. Mm, And that um, is one that delivers science-based activities to your phone to help increase your well-being. Um, The app Headspace uh, is one that I have tried that offers some guided meditations and mindfulness strategies. So there's lots of different uh, apps and ways that you can use technology for good instead of for evil.
3: Oh, man, I did Headspace once um, and loved it. I meditated in my car before I went into my office when I was gonna go work with clients, I, I I set it for an automatic response and then I got away from the habit and now yeah. it emails me every day at about three that o'clock way. saying time for headspace and I'm thinking, <laughs> Oh, you're driving me crazy. Now I can't now I'm totally stressed.
0: Exactly. It yeah. But so it's great. I, yeah. I tried I did the same thing. I actually tried it for a little bit and then I stopped using it and then I ended up I, I actually took it off off my phone for the same reason you're talking about how it was the constant reminder started to be something that was stressing me out yeah. and helping me. So,
3: and then I just noticed, I just started making cookies every day at three and I've gained 30 pounds.
0: <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> I call it, I'm going to make an app called belly space and it's that's all about growing your belly space.
0: That's right.
3: A, uh, as we wrap up, um, talk to us about what we should, like, what would you say Paula is the one thing, if we're going to just say one thing we can do, to create some of that space in our hearts, our heads, to decompress while we're working, um, what would what would be the number one thing we can do?
0: Wow, so there's there's really a lot, but one of the ones that I tend to keep coming back to is this whole notion of of trying to to find ways to increase your positive emotions during the day. Um, We, as human beings, are hardwired to notice and seek out and remember negative stuff, and with everything that's going around in our world right now and the holidays are stressful for so many people, it's so so easy to focus on what's going wrong and it's all going to heck and... It's never going to get any better. But, but just remembering, and even if that is tracking on, uh, you know, your phone or a piece of paper, a couple of good things that happen each day with a reflection about why that thing is important. Um, people who do that activity on a regular basis, so, you know, four or five times a week or so, notice less depression, higher life satisfaction, And uh, better relationships and better sleep, which Mm. is something that I think we all need more of. So just finding ways to increase your diet, as I call it, of of positive emotions, I think, is something that's really easy, doesn't take time, um, that people can start to do.
3: Beautiful. Paula Davis-Lack is her name. Go check out the website, stressandresilience.com. Wonderful resources there. Her blog, she's everywhere. From uh, the Matt Townsend Show to Steve Harvey's show, Women's Health, Psychology Today. She's a wonderful resource. Also has a wonderful ebook, Addicted to Busy, your blueprint for burnout prevention. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. The Matt Townsend Show. This is our favorite uh, song on the Matt Townsend Show because we have the rights to play it. It's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir Jingle Bells. Sure, there are other Christmas songs. There's other songs, you know, lots of songs, but this is the one we are going to hammer all Christmas season. Joining us, though, two hammers of their own rights. That sounds weird. Our good friends, Spencer and Jerem from BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Hello, Matthew.
3: How are you, kids?
1: I love it when you play the Mormon Tabernacle Choir because it always reminds me of a business venture that I want to 100% support. What? For Jerem Jordan, and that is Motab Sings Hip Hop or oh. Rap. I've always wanted this.
3: I, you so know what?
1: cover popular songs. It'd be hilarious. I think it it'd would, be fantastic. And get out to a different demo.
3: Don't you think? Totally. It would be. It would be a completely different demo. Yeah. Like, 100% different demo. I mean, you could have a little Beyonce.
1: Yes. little Rihanna. A little Great. Rihanna? All of them, yes.
3: Well, I mean, they, they, they might have to change some of the versions, right? Yeah. You might have to clean it up yeah, a bit.
1: Yeah, I was thinking this would be assumed.
3: Yeah. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. It'd be amazing.
3: Couldn't you, couldn't you imagine the entire Mormon Tabernacle Choir with Sia hair hanging over their face?
1: <laughs>
6: so, <laughs>
3: Wouldn't that be great in black and white? Of course. Yeah. Oh, beautiful! That's a great idea. Yeah. See, where
1: we. Ella, Ella, Ella. You hey, can stand hey, under hey, my umbrella. Hey, hey. Ella, Ella. It'd be amazing. <laughs> hey, it's like hey. bells and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> get the get the uh, symphony in there. You it's know a it's great
3: awesome. idea. See, we've 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 gotten in a little not trouble, but um, we've been had a little pushback on the fact that we use so many other sounds. Uh, clips, audios, YouTube drops. Wait, what? Yeah, we do. And, but we're not doing it anymore.
1: Uh, Wait, what? You have to abide by the rules we do now? Yeah. What in the <laughs> yeah. world? I know. What took so long?
3: I know. But so what we figured out, though, is, you know, we're sister companies, really, with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, so we'll probably just use their songs for everything.
1: Okay, everything. Well, there you
3: go. Which is why we need a hip-hop version of the Motab. Yes. Hip hop version. <laughs> yes. That's so it's such a great idea. Hey, um you guys uh what's, what what's on your Christmas list?
1: Um is other there than anything... the Motab uh covers hip hop and rap? <laughs> Let's see.
3: Anything anything else that's like San I want to San Diego.
1: Yeah, San Diego, Matt.
3: Is that all you care about is just getting to San Diego?
1: Basically right now.
3: When do you leave?
1: Uh we'll be live Saturday in Oh San Diego. boy. From uh, new time, by the way, it moved up uh, thirty minutes from five thirty to seven thirty Eastern time. Mm-hmm. There you go on BYU TV and I believe BYU Radio. I'd have to check now. California love. <laughs> 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 the more
3: tab—that's that, the Mormon Tabernacle <laughs> Choir right there.
1: Yeah. Dum 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 you'd have to be selective. Like you're not going to get Red Hot Chili Peppers California Cation. No, no, no. You're not
3: going to get stuff like that.
1: No, no. It'd be appropriate. Yeah. And it'd be. Well, uh, cogitated,
3: but you could have a you could do Kanye West, you could you could do something
1: yes. started Absolutely. from the bottom. Now we're here, yeah, yes. started from the bottom. Now the whole team here. You sound like you sound like Robert Goulet. <laughs> that was a great Goulet, yeah.
3: Was Goulet in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? I, I believe
1: g- that's where I got his start. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
3: From there to Vegas. Hey, um, is it
1: from the bottom? Now we're here. <laughs> 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 like Creed, slash Robert. Gullick. Then we
3: ought to do some Creed. Um, hey, okay, yeah, cover Creed. I got I got a question for you that okay. I didn't know I was going to bring up right now. Um, Nickelback. Mm-hmm. Why Why is everybody using them as the joke?
1: I don't know. When did that become a thing? Because no. they're Canadian. Is that why? No, I'm just kidding.
3: Because they've got a good song. I can't remember it, but it's... They
1: have a good song. Yeah. What are they, The Wonders? A good song. They got a good song. They're doing song. that thing you do? Yeah, but
3: it's, it Look just at seems... this
6: photograph! Spencer, Spencer right now has a hernia.
3: <laughs> Does uh? Do you, do you have to have a hernia to sing that song?
1: Yes. <laughs> Pretty much.
3: This, in fact, I heard that that's a new medical test. They have you sing the song, and if that's how they can tell if you have a hernia.
1: <laughs> Do you remember those Sprite commercials? No. In the nineties, I don't think I can say the phrase on the air. Okay. Uh, but they said you can win a hernia belt from Sprite <laughs> or something. I was like, what the heck? <laughs>
3: That's a that's a that, you know that that's a good that's yeah. a good song. It, it's if, a, if you can win a hernia belt, and then
1: there was a phrase after that. Yeah,
3: I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. Hey, um Defensive T shirts. Uh what's you guys are doing your show though, right? Oh yeah. what's on your show Today's today? Today's
1: a fun show. Okay, here here's uh the premise of the show, uh at least part of the show today. We're gonna have Max Hall, the winningest quarterback in BYU history mm. uh on, yep. on the program. Man. Uh he's going to weigh in on what do you expect from Tanner Mangum and Brigham next uh one week from today yeah. in the Poinsettia Bowl.
3: That's gotta be hard to just come in and all of a sudden play.
1: Yeah, new system too. It's not like he's been running this all year.
3: How did he do? How did he do when we played? In uh, U.S. and Southern. US? Yeah, yeah.
1: Fine. Yeah, serviceable. He wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, I wouldn't say he was great or even really good. He was good enough. He was good. Like so, good, like me. No, well, he was a no, lot better than. Yeah, you. yeah, he was way better than. Oh, you.
3: That seems all kind right. of rude. Well, I mean, I guess factual.
1: We, do, do you want to know the? Do you want to be great or do you just want to be okay? Do you want to know the truth? Honestly.
3: Yeah. I don't care anymore. Oh, okay. This well, cold's killing me.
1: Don Sheila, Don Sheila Do I'll talk to
3: Don Sheila <laughs> so, um So, uh, Maximus, Maximus Hall Hall's, on. Hall's
1: on. And then we're going to discuss this. Uh, today is the first uh, opportunity for college football teams to sign mid-year JC enrollees. Mm. So, BYU has plans to sign at least one. We don't know when, but we know in the next 30 days.
6: Is, is he, is he
1: the
3: guy they stole from another team? Could be. Yeah, okay.
1: Uh, could be. In fact, it could be a Northwest school. Who knows? Okay, yeah. I've um, heard about that one. You know what I'm saying? Wink, uh-huh. wink over the radio. <laughs> <on>. Could <laughs> be. <laughs> Did I give him a tour Friday in the building? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. He was here. Um, so the premise is, what position does BYU need to recruit the most? We'll give you our top, top three positions. Mm, okay. What is BYU graduating? What do they need? And, and what does Tide Detmer need in this new offense? Yeah. There is one. We agree on the position. By the way, we're going to give you our number three. We're going to tell you the one position group that BYU needs the most, and it's it's clear as day.
3: Is it on defense? Nope. That's on offense. Mm-hmm. Offensive line.
1: We'll tell you coming up. You know. have to wait. Why are you so impatient? I don't know.
3: I'm just that's my problem. I'm just impatient. <laughs>
1: Ever since you got sick, you're not the same, Matt. Yeah. No,
3: it's because I, I see my days are numbered. I'm just human. And,
1: and you need to meditate in your car like you used to.
3: Oh boy, I I should. But that's then changed could, you. I know people keep knocking on my window, telling Change me to keep moving.
1: For the better.
3: Hey, is that the, that'll be another one?
1: Well, that's wicked. It's kind of
3: we could do, but we'll do show tunes. We'll have the Mormon Tabernacle show tunes as well. It's all things Mormon Tabernacle Choir. That's what's on this show from here that's on a,
1: out. That sounds like a great show. Throwing uh, David Archuleta and we're mm-hmm. good to go.
3: You guys rock. You rock. Okay. Um, well, may the force be with you. <laughs> Thank you. And that tomorrow. uh That'll yeah tomorrow and. Um, and we're, just know that I'm watching because I'm taking a nap while I'm watching your You're show.
1: You're the elf on the shelf? Mm
3: hmm. On the elf on your shelf.
1: You're taller than that, I
3: thought. Kind of creepy. Have a good one, guys. Knock them dead. Remember who you are.
1: No clouds in my stones. Let it rain. I hydroplane into fame.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and again, peace be with you.
1: Got to go to work.
3: <laughs> good luck, gentlemen. Was he just quoting a song? He must have been quoting a song line there.
5: I think he's not well either.
3: Yeah, I think right there he had one of them micro strokes. Yeah. Got to watch out for those. Did you notice he was just like laying down some lines like a rapper? Crazy. Uh, Did you hear this story about a London-based doctor who used the Snapchat glasses? Did Terry bring this up? I know I've been talking with him. Would you want your doctor wearing Snapchat glasses and then live streaming your surgery? No. I mean, that's embarrassing. Yeah.
5: Especially if you've got some, like a spare tire, you
3: probably don't want that advertised. Yeah. And, a bit, and this was for a hernia surgery. So if you're going in for mm. hernia surgery, this doctor, um, Dr. Sh- Shafi Ahmed Use Snap Inc.'s sought-after spectacles to document the first hernia repair surgery that was, like, live-streamed. It's a $130 pair of glasses. You wear them, and then you can live-stream anything onto Snapchat. Why? Why what? Why would you do this? Well, you're you're going to be the coolest doctor in town. Hmm. You're wearing a pair of neon specs, and you're Snapchatting hernia surgery. So... How many times have you gone on, like, YouTube or Snapchat and thought, hey, I wonder if they're doing hernia surgery today? And you just get in there, you get into the, the group, and all of a sudden you're, hey, you're, you know, wrist deep into some guy's hernia. You know, I don't even know what Snapchat is. Oh, boy, Grandpa. Really? Yeah. I'll show you later.
5: Hey, I know you're going to be doing your hero story here in a second. Yeah. I was almost a hero the other day. When you got electrocuted? I went to make a return at Home Depot. There was a guy that had returned some stolen goods and used a phony ID. They called the cops on him. He ran off as I was leaving the store. What did you do? I got in my car and I tried to follow him, but I went up the street and he was long gone. So. Do we have an almost, can that be the almost hero story of the day?
3: No.
6: No. No.
3: Well, I mean, you tried. I'd, I'd give you an A for effort. I'd give you a D for GPS trackability. Not very good at that. That's what you lost when you were electrocuted. It's the thought that counts. I think you also, you probably didn't hear him say, hey, he went north. And you didn't hear that because of that rude thing that your cousin did with an air horn. Not to bring up a bad thing. Hey, hero of the day is a woman who won $187 million in lottery. She buys a house for a mother. She saw fundraising for several uh, disabled four year old uh, for her severely disabled four year old son, a mother, a woman won $187 million lottery prize. Jillian Bayford and her ex-husband, Adrian were among the Euro millions biggest winners. But instead of just spending the money on themselves, she saw a woman in need who was trying to raise money for her disabled son and uh, she instead went and spent that money and bought that mother a house. Just threw down some money. Doesn't say exactly how much, but she bought the woman a house, we're crying out loud. She's the hero of the day. Sometimes you're lucky, right? But the heroes aren't born in luck, they're born in Just giving, sharing, giving all you can, what you can, when you can. That's all we need to be a hero. You're the hero of someone in your life. I challenge you to go make it a great one. Go serve, go do what you can. And until tomorrow, you know, take care of each other. We'll be back tomorrow to keep talking. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk tomorrow.